Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Wow. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, it's the 15th of May. Can you believe how fast the year is going? 2023. Welcome to episode whatever the fuck it is from Morning Combat. Hello, my friends. <clears throat> my name is Luke Thomas. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. I join you, as I always do, from the capital of the status needles right here in Washington, D.C., joined by the most washed POS this side of the Mississippi and the Mason-Dixon line. Just any which way you cut it. It's my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell. Hello, Brian Campbell. Hello, Luke. It was great uh, habitsing with you this weekend, putting in that work. You know what I'm saying? Hot wings on, on that ass, right? I mean, would you say, in conclusion, Luke, that our time together, it was good. Ow, 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 right? It was definitely better than Ezra, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Wow, wow. All right, all right, yeah. Uh, BC, like really, very, very quickly, how was your Mother's Day, which, of course, was yesterday? Uh, it was it was very relaxing and nice. You know, I even mowed the lawn, Luke. You know what I'm saying? It was great. It was great. You know, we we, we celebrated my lovely and beautiful wife, and um, that was about it, Luke. Very relaxing. Did you have to... Jump through any hoops or, you know, yeah, a little... I, I did. I did the big one. I did like reservations and then we had reservations for an activity later in the afternoon, yes. which actually yes. ended up working pretty well, but it was a lot of work. Flowers, you know, the whole bit. So, Oh, my gosh. We just did take out in in, in family movie time. You know, it was wonderful. Just See, there have been years like that where my wife is like, no, let's do it low key, blah, blah, blah. And then I did the low key thing and she's like, what? This yeah, is all we're doing this grounded. year. And I'm like, ah, I'm yeah. not playing that game this year, no. you know. I mean, seriously, though, you're in like, what, year three or four of Mother's Day for your relationship that you got to You yeah. got to go all in now. It's once you get up to, you know, where I am, year 15, it's like, you know, you can you can get you can mail that in. Luke. But, you know, there's a lot of love involved, though, in mailing. Did it. you call your own mother? Did you did you wish of her course, a happy birthday? Of course or, uh, I did. Happy Mother's Day. OK, I even FaceTimed that that wonderful woman as well. So uh, <laughs> with a different description there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I almost FaceTimed that wonderful woman. All right. There we go. Here we uh, are. Hey, We're back. we got a Here lot to is. get to because it was actually, it ended up being a bit of a kind of crazy combat sports weekend. So Bellator was on Friday. Definitely some upsets happened there. We'll get to this and some crow we have to eat. So we're going to have to eat some crow. We'll do that for Bellator 296. Of course, UFC Charlotte was on Saturday. Tons of stuff that went as expected, but create some interesting questions. Also, plenty of controversy there as well. And how about that Showtime Championship boxing card where, where, where Rolando Romero and Ismael Barroso just ending up in the most insane controversy I've seen in some time. So we, ladies and gentlemen, have a lot to get to here. Of course, two thumbs up on YouTube. Hit subscribe if you haven't. Give us a nice review, whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see us right there on the screen for our socials. Give us a follow. Hey. Come come say hi on TikTok. That's where all the kids are doing things yeah, that are interesting. Looks these days. like just not in person though. In fact, if you see me in person, avoid me. Dude, you know what's funny? Uh, so I walked around Jersey City in that morning. I I don't know if I I guess I did tell you about this. So I went to go get a cup of coffee on Saturday morning because we were waiting to do the prelims that night. We had stayed over, and uh, I'm sitting there by the waterfront just enjoying one of my cups of coffee. And there's a race that's happening around me. People are carrying like sandbags. I don't know what's happening. 
First of all, one dude stops to take a picture with me. He recognized me. He was an MK donk, so that was cool. Shout out <laughs> to that guy. Uh, and then some Spanish-speaking lady rolls up on me with a camera crew. I'm not doing a bit. She had a camera crew with her. They all had, like, gimbals on all their cameras. And she started talking about me in Spanish, not realizing I got most of it. And so I responded Ooh. back to her. What words and we had a bit of a... Use- what words did she use to describe you on Espanol, Luke? She was just saying, here's a regular person from Jersey City sitting here. And I'm like, <laughs> You're like, nope. first of all. Nope. <laughs> yeah. nope. Uh, <laughs> if I was, I would have already knifed you in between the sixth and seventh rib. And I didn't yeah. do that. So there you go. Anyway, I had a bit of a conversation with her. And then she left by going, hey, in Spanish, hey, here's a gringa who speaks Spanish. Isn't that swell? And I was like, all right, well, you know, we don't have right. to be mean about this whole thing. So that was weird. And then uh, I got recognized walking around downtown in Jersey City later by another MK donk. So it was a bit of a weird Saturday. Uh, you know, that's great for the ego, though, Luke, especially when it's, you know, Latin cougars stopping you, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know how old she was because, you know, everyone's all messed up. I mean, dude, that race was brutal. Like, whatever they were doing, carrying those heavy-ass sandbags, I don't know what that was, but they looked Looked like some CrossFit tired. jerk-off festival. Yeah, I'm not yeah. really into that. A bit, a bit. Um, Anyway, so we have a lot to get to there. Fun weekend. Thanks, everyone, who said hello, and uh, we're saying hello back. BC, I want to set things up. So, of course, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can uh, do something else with your life. Morningcombat.store. The merch is alive and well. Look, I have a critical question for you, though, about our great content, okay? Because, you know, we, we put out, maybe... Maybe a top five episode of MK in history on Friday. And then we teased and threatened that a real RSD 1.0. No, not the RSD 2.0 that we recorded with Ray Longo, baby. That I can't wait to see that hit the streets soon. You and I actually sat down for a old school room service diaries Friday night. I did it. I entered your hotel room. I yeah. dealt with the fumes of your ass cheeks, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Where is this product? Where is this piece of content? Uh, I guess I'll put I was going to put it out yesterday, but then when I got on my late Saturday night train, I took a train 11:30 at night from Newark. Boy, let me tell you. The people watching in Newark oh, at 11:30 yeah. at night in the train, boy, I'm just I mean, it was like a thriller video up in there, but Did you have um, a, a bingo card crossing out communicable diseases, Luke, as you were going? It's amazing. You could all I had my headphones on, which is like international sign with for don't bother me, but of course they just come up to you and start asking you for stuff and I'm a sucker. I'm always, I always give them money if I have it. I didn't have any cash on me this one time. You can always tell when someone's about to ask you for money because have you even noticed that they walk weird? Like yeah. people who are like destitute in train stations, you know, God bless them. They got tough lives, but they always have like their balance is always off. So at the corner of my eye, I always I saw this dude, blah, blah, blah. And then he starts gibbering, jabbering at me. He needs some money. I actually did not have any. So I don't care what that- like that anymore. What the hell does that wonderful vagabond have to do with room service diaries? All right, Luke, I'm So I get on the train. I get on the train, and I did not have the uh, the dongle that I needed to plug in my SD card into my laptop. So I couldn't do it. And then by the time Saturday, Sunday got rolling around, I was just busy with mom stuff. But I think it'll be out next Sunday. We'll have a nice Sunday treat for everyone uh, upcoming up this next week. So. Man, we love putting out dated content in this show, Luke. We just love I mean, it. It doesn't. It's, not, it's fairly evergreen. It's not really going to matter. All right. All right. So. Uh, BC, uh, there's that, of course, the merch. And um, yeah, we also have another sponsor to get to here. 
You know, it's AG1 by Athletic Greens. You guys know the deal. It's only one delicious scoop. It's 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, BC. And that's how every day should start, is it not? People are like, BC, I'm like you. I don't always make the best food in lifestyle choices. But I want to do something each morning that starts my day correct. What do I do? How about this? One scoop of the magic green powder, put it in a glass of water, stir it up, little darling, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, Luke, it doesn't taste medicinal or gross. It's got this beautiful, you know, light tropical taste, but it's all about what does it do for me? I don't care if you're gluten-free, paleo, kego, kegels, keto, Luke, whatever, wherever direction you're going in life. I don't care if you're looking to support gut health, nervous system, um, across the board, Luke. This is the stuff in my life that's missing, and I get to put it in a glass of water every morning to start my day the right way. I call that a cheat code, brother. That's like the Cliff's Notes to health. You learned it right here on, on MK. It's called, it's called no AG. about it. Yeah, it also supports immune system, energy, recovery, focus, aging, the whole nine yards. BC already indicated it. Doesn't matter if you like keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever. Contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. And BC, as you always indicate, less than $3 a day, you're yeah. investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And, and you know, you can listen to us, or how about those 7,000 people that gave five-star reviews online? How about Tim Ferriss, right? How about Michael Gervais? How about Joe Rogan? Okay, I don't think he. I don't think he's uh, sponsored. He by has. Anyone. He has. Oh, How he about has. Brian Campbell? All right, <laughs> all right. I mean, honestly, no. The thing is, <laughs> the this model look, of health. We want you to get on board with this. We do have donks that have tried this, and they're like, "Thank you." This, you know, Phil Mc, Phil McKagan, big time AG one guy, right? Seriously. All right. I want you to be too. You could be an AG two guy as well. She was in Paris over the weekend. She was fantastic with Bellator. But Amanda Guerra, we're not talking about you right now. We're talking about athleticgreenscom slash combat. That's where you can go right now. And for your first order, let's get a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D drops. Let's get the five free travel packs. Five time. Five time. Five time. All right, Booker T? That's all I got for you today, Luke. If there's any other verbatim details, now would be the time. Uh, yeah, of course. You can arm reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Of course, heading into the flu and cold season. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And as BC indicated, athleticgreens.com slash morning combat to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, BC, with that in mind, let's get this party started if we can here. We will start as we customarily do with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Topic number one. Here we go. How about Jailton Almeida? I mean, making absolutely short work of Jairzinho Rosenstruck in the main event for UFC Charlotte, a.k.a. UFC on ABC4. BC, it was very easy for him. He got the takedown running it down on his knees, which you're never supposed to be able to do, but he did it. So he does that, moves into mount eventually, secures the back, chokes him out, made it work, excuse me, made it look like it was nothing. So the question is as follows, 14 in a row total for him in terms of his win streak. Is it time to start talking about Almeida as a legitimate heavyweight title threat? Uh, yes. And yes with a bullet. Because not only is it, what, 13 or 14 straight wins, as you mentioned, they're all stoppages. Most of those are early stoppages. First round, I think twice in the second round. What we're talking about here is a finisher, an absolute destroyer. 
in like he mentioned afterwards with 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 a self-reflective Habib comparison. Here's an ultimate specialist. He may or may not have hands, Luke. I mentioned in the past that both his uncle and father were boxers in Brazil, so I'd like to see what that looks like the first time somebody stuffs his plan A and really makes him fight. Here's the problem. We may not find that out until he gets to the very top. That's where he's headed. That's where he belongs. Because I did hear, Luke, some people a little bit afterwards salty saying, well, we didn't really learn anything. Rosenstruck is not that guy. We already knew that. But this was the right escalation. I didn't love this necessarily as this main event. We didn't even need the five rounds. We already went through that. But you know what I love? Jarlton Almeida's threat to this division because he's athletic. He's in tremendous shape. He knows how to lean into his strengths. He's got an incredibly quick shot, Luke, to take people down. But then he's patient and he finishes you. Yes, it is time to figure out how many more we need before this guy is fighting for, for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. Because like Liam Neeson, he has a unique set of skills. And um, he's not going to be taken until the very top, if he is, Luke, until we find that resistance where somebody's going to be able to keep this guy off of him or or get up once taken down. Until we see that, then we'll readjust exactly where he is. I don't know if he's a dual threat. But I've always said this, Luke. Sometimes not knowing that while you watch a guy climb up is a big part of the intrigue. What will it look like when finally... Let's find out first if when finally actually happens, because this guy's plan A is as strong as anyone else's in this entire game. And I'm really enjoying this ride of watching him take people down, force the tap or get the violent stoppage on the ground. He's doing it his way. He's a technical marvel. He's an athletic freak. He is a problem for every single heavyweight in this division. Right. Am I right, Luke? He's potentially a problem. Oh, I think he's a huge problem. Now, There's when people say we didn't learn much, they're not exactly wrong. And what I mean by that is, based on what we saw on Saturday from Almeida, can you confidently conclude this is a guy who can beat Sergei Pavlovich? You cannot confidently conclude that. You don't know if he's going to be able to get the same kind of takedowns, easily accessible. Again, running it down on his knees. I mean... <laughs> Listen, Almeida's a beast. He'd beat he'd beat the brakes off of me. He'd kill me if he wanted to. But like, and he knows this too. Like, I'm not saying that he doesn't know. But like, you're definitely taught to not wrestle on your knees. Like, you can touch your knees at times, but you got to get to your feet. You got to move on your feet. So if you're finishing a takedown on your knees, like, there's a huge skill consideration about who you're taking down. But that is sort of my point, BC. I don't really know a whole lot about Almeida's stand-up. I know a little bit, but not really a lot. I don't know how that's going to go if and when he is forced to stand. But just seeing what happened between John Jones and Cyril Ghosn, I, I, I don't know why anyone would think that Almeida wouldn't have a chance at the title or getting very, very, very close to it. Not every fighter is Cyril Ghosn, and certainly not every fighter is John Jones. But if that fight highlighted anything, it's that there are huge, monstrous skill gaps, even among very top contenders, perhaps more so than any other division at the top of heavyweight. You've got a guy like Almeida, 230 pounds, built like a tight end, who is athletic, who is strong, who has a very technical ground game, and he is dicing through some of these older guys, in this particular case, one with a kickboxing background, like it's nothing. He is going to beat a lot of... I mean, this was not challenging for him at all. Once he got going, he never stopped, right? I mean, this was big bank take little bank in the biggest of ways. Now, will that work against Curtis Blades if he ends up getting there? I, I don't know the answer to that. Again, will it work against Sergei Pavlovich if and when he gets up to that point? I don't know the answer to that. There are 
some unanswered questions and some of them fairly big. But dude, you don't, number one, you can't count Almeida out of those contests. He might win one or both of those, number one. And number two, he's going to beat everybody else, right? He's going to beat everybody else, no problem in that division, by virtue of the kind of skill set he has, both athletically and technically. So in answer to the question, BC, is this guy a threat to heavyweight? He was a threat to heavyweight before Saturday, after Saturday. There can absolutely be no mistake about it. Yeah, this was him, you know, getting out the trumpet and, and blowing it and showing us exactly how dominant he can be in the right matchup. I think if we're being fair, though, Luke, across the board, obviously against somebody like Pavlovich, who shows huge power, anything can happen. It could be anyone's kryptonite. But how many elite heavyweights, whether we're talking about the wrestling of John Jones, the the varied ground game, to be fair, of Tom Aspinall, how many of these guys on paper do you think could potentially cancel that out? Could make Almeida fight on the feet and force to show us more of his game? That's the real question. Heavyweight has never been a home to great jujitsu or great wrestling on a consistent basis across the top ten. It's a striking division, Luke. We we've got a cut. You know, we're, we're we're not deep at the moment at UFC heavyweight, but the, but you certainly like uh, you know some of the guys coming up. And Tom Aspinall is going to have a chance against Tybura in late July to rebound from injury. But if he keeps fighting guys on Rosenstrike's level, that's what you're going to see. How many do you think could legitimately give him a fight right now from what we know? Listen, Tom Aspinall's a top prospect and I've and a top well, I guess I, I'm not sure where he's ranked, but certainly he's a guy who's got a very bright future as well. We just didn't get to see what was supposed to happen in the Curtis Blades fight. He had a terrible injury and he's going to come back. Now again, I think he's got a bright future. He will probably cross paths with Almeida at some point, one thinks. But because he's been off and I don't know what he's going to look like upon his return, I'm going to slow roll that a little bit. Almeida, by contrast, is heating up very quickly. I mean, one of the things that's happening with these contests where I guess the Abdurakhimov went to the second round or whatever, but I mean, just listen to these wins, BC. So on Saturday, round one, Abdurakhimov, round two, Turkali, round one, Parker Porter, round one. Uh, he had one, I don't know, excuse, yeah, Danilo Marquez, round one. Contender Series round two. They can't even take this guy to the third round. You want to talk about staying fresh through the calendar. They're barely laying a glove on the guy. So he's just ready to kind of take off. Now, Aspinall does seem like he's the kind of guy who's going to give someone like Almeida some problems. You would imagine he's a little bit naturally bigger. He's very athletic. And if he isn't necessarily as technical, but technical enough to play prevent defense and stand... Sure. Right, that could be kind of interesting. I mean, maybe Almeida is the one-trick pony who can feast on older kickboxers. Maybe that's the truth. I tend to think he's got a higher ceiling than that, but we simply we simply don't know. I think they'll meet later on down the road. When I say, or when I ask rather, is Almeida a title threat? I mean, this year or early next year. <clears throat> Aspinall, I think, probably just a little bit behind that. Unfortunately, due to the delay in injury. Yeah, and 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 obviously, when we talk about the questions, we don't know. Almeida's only gone three full rounds one time, and he lost that fight. But there have been little slight tests along the way, Luke, that have shown some things. I mean, the Abdurakimov fight, of which he finished him in the second round with punches, uh, Almeida got hit pretty hard right in the opening 10 seconds with a big shot, adjusted well, shook it off, no issues, took over. And let's not overlook that Dana White contender series win over Nasruddin, Nasruddinov, who was not only bigger than Almeida, he had a legitimate Sambo background, so what we had to see was Almeida go to the well a couple times with the takedowns, it, which led up to a second-round submission win. So he is just persistent, even when 
he meets some resistance in those areas. The true test, obviously, would be a legit striker with takedown defense. Uh, John Jones, anyone? For sure. But, Luke, I do wonder, even when Almeida finally gets up to that level where we expect him to get tested, like, if he's persistent enough, if he's as explosive enough in his shots, which we often see his double leg is just so quick and out of nowhere and he's there. Dude, I I mean, I want to see it, but do you think John Jones could keep this guy off the ground? I don't know, Luke. I don't know that. Do I think he can keep? I don't know. John Jones's takedown defense is pretty good. The question is like, okay, do I think Almeida can get Jones down? Maybe, but probably not that well. But that's not, again, it goes back to the Aljamain Sterling thing. It's or Charles Oliveira or pick your guy. It's not really about getting the takedowns. Like, could he force John to his hands and yeah. then from there begin to work from the back? Like, yeah, that does actually seem possible. Of course, closing the distance on John is going to be a lot more difficult. You're not going to run down doubles on your knees against John Jones. That's simply not going to work. But BC, here's who is in front of him, or at least other people he could fight. This is the top contenders. Like, gun to your head. Tell me who you think would win. Ready? Yep. Ready? Almeida versus Gone. I mean, how do you not pick Almeida? Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if we're, it, it, will God have the same wrestling ability that he had in the Nganu and Jones fights, Luke? Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Gun to your head, Almeida versus Pavlovich. So that's the perfect style contrast because it, it, it may be fairly easy. It also could be the reckoning for no matter how great his ground game is because of somebody with that long of arms that size, that power, that's a wait-and-see fight. I don't know. That's a wait-and-see, ultimate. Almeida versus Miocic. I like Almeida. Almeida versus Blades. <clears throat> I like Almeida again, although obviously you'd love to see that specific iteration for the wrestling defensive Blades and how that would work. But I don't know, Luke. I see a confidence in him. I see a comfortability in certain key areas where I'm not necessarily worried about his striking. Like We just haven't seen it to know, of course. But you do look at the comparison he made of himself to Habib. Habib's striking never became like technically perfect, but he adapted it to make it work to to even enhance his the threat of his own ground game even more. Um, it's just interesting because when we talk about John Jones's future and how this ties in here, he's got Stipe this fall. We assume maybe November, New York City. You think he goes away for good? I think as long as they pay him, he stays around. I don't think Jones ducks a matchup like Pavlovich out of the idea of it being too dangerous for not enough money as long as they give him enough money. But do you believe when John Jones looks at what we don't know about the two bright contenders of the moment, no disrespect to Aspinall, he's got to come back and prove he's back from injury, then he's in there too. But as of right now, Pavlovich and Almeida, who's which matchup does John look at in those two and think, is more difficult, is more of the unknown. I think it's Almeida. Probably Almeida, only because Jones is not dumb enough to think standing with Pavlovich could work out for him long-term. I mean, he could do it a little bit here or there, but you know the margin of error is thin, right? The guy hits hard. But seeing what Overeem did, again, what Overeem did to Pavlovich, UFC debut, he's a different guy now, understand. But I think he might follow a similar kind of blueprint where if I can put this guy on his back and then just really kind of work him, make him work from underneath while ground and pounding, you know, knee on belly, that kind of a thing, he can just get his way. He probably would follow a similar... Like, dude, why would you fucking stand with Pavlovich? At least early. Why why would you do that? I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster. John probably has the capability of making a takedown there. Against Almeida, I guess you could, you know, 
defend the takedown and kind of jab his face, but that's a little bit more of a risky proposition in that particular... Well, I mean, they're both risky in different ways, but you get the idea. So it's a, it's a great question. I, I don't know if either of them have the name value to hold John or to get the UFC to pay to hold John. Time will tell. Time will tell, certainly. But um, for now, that's kind of that. Uh, BC, um, anything else about... I'll say this, like this main event, it, I appreciate how fast like he's working and I'm glad they put him on ABC. I think that's the right thing. They wanted to put their up and coming stars, which kind of tells you that they've got Almeida spotlit. Sure. It does seem like this win did a little bit for Almeida's uh, visibility. It did a little bit for, he had credibility with the hardcores and of course that doesn't change. But I guess what I'm asking is, do you feel like he got a little bit of a bump on Saturday yeah. promotionally and that it worked? I do. I do. Uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out in terms of the buzz and attention of his next fight, which you assume would be even bigger in that escalation. But let's not forget, this was on ABC. It was in a, you know, a, a packed arena there in Charlotte. And we got to see him dominate on his terms. Yeah, you'd have to believe that because he looks like a Hulk. He's dancing afterwards. You know what I mean? To, to, to but Yeah, dude, this guy's coming on. This is a smart move. By the UFC, I, I never hesitate to identify when they lean in that right direction. Right. I mean, real, Whether... real quick to, to to butt in, I'm sorry, BC, but just to throw one more yeah. thing here. Remember, Pavlovich's last fight was in the Apex. They put this guy in a live arena on ABC. I just feel like that's a much better way to promote an up and coming guy. You know, indeed, indeed, on that one, Luke, I agree with you. All right, let's talk about point number two here, if we can. We'll stay with UFC Charlotte, but let's discuss some of the other fights on that card. First things first. So Johnny Walker actually got his first UFC win that went beyond the first round in claiming a clear decision victory over Anthony Smith. That's three in a row now, BC, for Walker. Tell me what his actual upside is as it stands today. I, I, I still believe he's a striker's threat, a puncher's threat, but let's, let's throw in the striker's threat because his kicks are so great. To the heavyweight title, meaning is he a complete fighter? I'm sorry, to the light heavyweight title. Is he a complete fighter that could... Fight for the belt tomorrow and be a betting favorite. It's unlikely, Luke. Even though you like, I, I liked him jumping the fence, going right over to the champion Jamal Hill, and sort of having a cordial moment, not a violent moment, and just saying, you know, we will meet again, all that. But look, this was a better, I believe, iteration of him in this ongoing process to mature his game under Coach John Cavanaugh and kind of figure out what's the best use. I still say they need to lean and allowing him to be dangerous, which he was, but he was also. Let's give him credit. Very cautious against a Smith who was not only injured and, and hurt a lot of this fight. We'll talk about it shortly after about his future. But even with at times the lifelessness down the stretch of Smith, you still saw a Walker who wasn't looking to run in there and finish him. Johnny said afterwards that he really wanted to do something that would show the critics that he's more than just that, just that a first round finisher. In that regard, I think he passed that test. Is he a full complete fighter? No. But I think as long as he stays with these aerial moves, as long as the threat of the big strike is there, if he's mixing more nuanced parts of his game around that, the stiff jab, he's getting better on the ground, he's close to, to, to figuring out, I think, what is the best full-on, well-rounded version of himself. And I say well-rounded with an asterisk because I don't think he's ever going to be a well-rounded fighter. He's a striker. He will have a striking chance if he can get to the title fight Three in a row. This was a big name to get past. Things are looking up for, for him. But is he a complete package? Is he a monster threat for the championship? At this point, I still say no, Luke. 
Yeah, I'm somewhere, I think, in the same kind of place. I mean, let's be real about this. As I mentioned, all of his other UFC wins came in the first round, which doesn't make him illegitimate, but it just kind of makes you wonder, can he do this beyond just being a quick, dynamic, athletic first-round threat? Turns out, yes, he can. Now, he was threatening throughout, including in the first round in this contest. But, you know, I'll give him credit. There was times in his development, particularly around, like, I don't know, maybe the Krilov fight, the Santos fight was, like, a real bad case. Maybe, maybe I'll say that one, where I was like, man, I don't know what's happening with his evolution. Like, I'm not saying that um, he should go back to being wild and reckless and getting into the same kinds of problems he did before, but this pivot doesn't seem to be working. Well, now it seems to be coming together. Now, how far he can take this new version of himself, to your point, BC, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I definitely feel like he can do really well. I, I think he'll beat tough guys. I don't know that I see, and I, do I think he could beat Jamal Hill? I suppose, but I, I just don't know how, if, even if he did, how long he would hold on to that title with guys like Ankalaev still kind of hanging out there, although he's had his own struggles as well. But the point I'm trying to make here is he definitely is beginning to gel with this style he's been working on now for some time. It's coming together where you can see these flashes of athleticism, the jumping knee at times, throwing certain kinds of kicks. But what does he throw really more than that? A lot of leg kicks, right? Really the calf kicks were Anthony. key. Luke, Dude, you, you pointed it out when we were watching the broadcast. They're not too far apart in height, but his waist, meaning the size of his legs, were so much larger than Smith. His legs are very thick to begin with that – that steady calf kick. Now, look, we were also questioning, like, why is Smith not checking these or, or trying to block or trying to do anything but just stand there and eat them? I had those same questions, but that, I think, is the perfect adaptation. You got to keep that threat of the big strike with the constant chipping away with those leg strikes. Dude, I don't even know if you can leg strike him in return. The, you see how big they were, how muscular? I don't know if you can damage him in that regard. Yeah, oh, I mean, I think you could, but like to your point, yeah, it was his dimensions are crazy. Even for other light heavyweights, he uses them well, uh, and he was hammering him. But also with the calf kick, you know, it keeps you far apart, right? I mean, you don't have to be as close as you would for a leg kick that would hit to the mid upper thigh. And so, you know, I'm just yeah. pointing out he's just making a lot better decisions while still being damaging and deadly and on it. And the fact that he went the full distance to me is gr a great sign, actually. So to me, it's like. I don't quite know where this is all headed. Before, I thought it was headed maybe off the tracks. That is not my concern anymore. Clearly, he's got yeah. something working here. He can do very, very commendable things. Is the, Are those championship things? I don't know, but I think he's going to get pretty far with this much more fluid. And I think, you know, when I say rehearsed, I don't mean robotically. I mean, like, muscle memory-wise skill set a much more rehearsed skill yeah set. and we've got to see what happens in a big fight when things aren't going his way i do have some questions about his punch resistance not necessarily in like one strike is gonna put him on you know queer street and he's ready to be finished i just mean his offense tends to go silent at times when he gets hit big which is something i you know that will have to work on in the growth but do you agree with what he said afterwards do you think he did purposely allow smith to finish so that he could knock off that first round finishing tag on him and, and put in the three rounds? Or do you think that was him being a little bit nervous of the wounded animal aspect of Smith? I believe him. I believe him. I think that they knew they, this was a time to, I mean, I guess if it really opened up and he could just finish him off relatively easily, maybe he would have, but to the extent that there was any kind of resistance that was tricky. And that's the thing about Smith too. We'll talk about him in a minute. Sometimes his defense can be tricky. You know, you got to be pretty careful with him. And we, we mentioned this about Smith, too. 
you know, one of the reasons why Smith is able to hang on is and do really well at times, I think surprise people, has been that he fights hurt without, I mean, you know, he is struggling with the injury or the or the pain, but he just kind of keeps on going. He has a he has a real durability in the in those uh, trenches. But I think that they definitely wanted to, man. They knew this is what I mean. Like it's not just wanting to take the fight three rounds; it's having the ability to actually do it when you want to, to be able to win comfortably on the scorecards, keep out of trouble. He was getting out of the way of those like sort of lunging overhands that Smith was trying to set up. Dude, he just made a lot better decisions. Um, and I think being able to to make consistently good ones over the course of time. That's the sign of a high-level fighter, right? When you can do that consistently throughout the expanse of a fight, keeping yourself out of trouble, hit, not get hit, all those kinds of things. Dude, that's that's growth. That's development. That's maturity. That's a great sign for Johnny Walker. And, you know, take my hat off to to John Cavanaugh. They're doing, I think, a pretty commendable job with the guy. And they had a difficult assignment, clearly, to begin with. Um, all right, BC. I don't know if you're still there, if you're just reading your... Are you, read, are you watching pornography? What are you doing? Well, I was listening to your analysis, Luke, and looking to offer a rebut, but I didn't have I didn't have anything in that moment. You know, I, I'm trying to learn that sometimes in life, sometimes, right? Yeah. Less is more. Less is more. BC, let's talk about Anthony Smith. So the fight is over, and he gets hurt in this fight really bad. His legs got chewed up. He kind of got dropped. He went for a leg lock. It didn't work. There's just a lot that just did not go right for him. He got beat up a little bit. He nearly retired when the fight was over. He took his gloves off, but then apparently thought better of it, uh, left the octagon and did not retire, and then afterwards on social media congratulated Johnny Walker and his team. But there was something he said in the middle of the fight which got everyone's attention. He is facing off, basically, you know, in the middle of the contest with Walker, and he says, you know, you're trying to hurt my family. And Walker's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he eventually lets it go. BC, what did you make of that, number one? And secondly, what should be next for 34-year-old Anthony Smith? Look, we are tasked with being a dime store psychologist often on this show, and it's part of the job of trying to gauge or figure out, you know, and interpret someone's words and what it meant based on the emotions of the moment. My first instinct was this was Anthony Smith trying to resuscitate the warrior within him in that round and trying to focus on the reasons, the, the, <clears throat> like, like, look, everybody's got a reason why they fight, why they're able to, I mean, almost pause reality and not only talk themselves up into being this warrior and going into the face of danger, but to digging deep when times get hard. I almost felt like, he was dealing mid fight with his own set of questions of, do I still want to be here? Should I still be here? Um, look, he came out game Luke. I thought in the first two rounds, especially there were times where he landed big counter shots where you're like, Oh, maybe, okay. May maybe he's still in there. Maybe he can still hurt Walker. Maybe he can turn this around, but starting with the end of the second round and then through most of the third, it not only looked like he was hanging on for survival, but I do take that little weird sequence as him almost in the moment, trying to, activate that call and response that every fighter must do within themselves to stir up the emotions and come back out fighting and may have may have even had trouble activating that which is why it actually came out verbally like you know mf or you're trying to take from my family you know and this is why i do this i'm not saying because he's so young luke even though let's be fair anthony smith has had a lot of fights he fought a lot on the uh regional scene when he got to the UFC title level, a lot of us wrongfully added a stigma of, oh, here's a 13 or 15 loss guy getting to this point. 
No, that's somebody who worked hard and evolved just through the, the, the blood, sweat, and tears of this game. But I do think he's at an interesting crossroads where even though he's taken a lot of damage and he's fought a lot of fights and he's pretty much only fought the best in this modern iteration of him, I, I think he's hitting a wall now. And does that wall mean he needs to walk away and retire? No, not necessarily. There were moments he was in this fight. He's only 34. But I think he does need some time off to heal mentally, physically, to to think about where he's at in this game. Obviously, he's got the side burgeoning career going with the announcing, and I think he does a very good job in that regard. And I've really enjoyed getting to know him, and we had him on Room Service Diaries, and we've had a lot of fun with him. But I think he hit a little bit of a wall last night, and sometimes that's just going so hard for so long, and the grind of this sport physically and mentally adds up. But let's not forget that before this fight, he was very honest about why he fell apart against Ankolaev and the loss of his mom and the emotions that he didn't deal with. Sometimes in this game, the best thing you can do is take nine months, a year off, and just refresh, restart, allow that hunger to come back. Maybe from my situation in this dime store psychological chair, that would best describe that that weird interaction between them and what Smith's future could or should be. But that's just my two cents, Luke. I, I look at a guy who's such a hard worker. He has taken a lot of damage. Take some time off and, and go figure out for yourself more than anyone else whether you still got this and whether you still want this. I feel bad. Remember, he was supposed to fight Jamal Hill back in March, and then the whole thing changed, and here he finds himself now with a loss uh, two months later against Johnny Walker. Um, I've known Anthony. You know, we're not buddies or anything, but I've known him for some time. I've not spoken to him yet. Um, but, I, I okay, so there's a couple things to look at this. Chris Curtis was on Twitter yesterday saying, you know, maybe he never, talking about Anthony Smith, and this is Curtis's view, like he wasn't asserting it boldly. He was kind of wondering maybe he never got over the trauma of that home invasion and that it kind of just bubbled up in this cauldron of adrenaline and stress and everything else. That's an interesting theory because if that's true, that's actually, you know, it would be uh, something that Smith as a person would want to look into just for his own mental health. If it's if that If that kind of trauma is still surfacing, the other one, of course, is the interpretation you had, which was that he was trying to conjure the feelings he had during that moment in order to conquer the difficulty of this one, and it just didn't translate. He'll be 35 in July, and to your point, he's got a lot of fights. He's past 50. He's working closer to 60 fights at this point in his pro career. I mean, it's a lot of wear and tear. It's a lot of mileage. But BC, I don't know if the time off is the right idea. Here's what I mean by that, right? So in 2020... He fought, let's see, three times, right? Winning last against Devin Clark. He fought twice in 2021. He went at winning both of those. He fought once in 2022 against Ankalaev. Then he had the injury. So this is his only fight in 2023. Like the, the, He's actually getting less experience as the years go on. He's taking more and more time off. He's getting more and more injuries. Is more of that really the antidote? I mean, it seems to me he's at a bit more of a crossroads than... Um, you know, comfortable analysis might necessarily allow. I don't know sure. what he wants. You know, I don't, again, I have profound respect for Anthony. And I do believe in his ability to, he's one of the very few fighters I've ever come into contact with. It's one of the reasons why I think he is special, who is totally, um, he actually should get much more credit for dealing with his own beliefs about his own limits or injuries, or he's just, he's aware, I think of, some of the things that hold him back, and uh, and yet still finds ways to negotiate a path through. I know sometimes he says things confidently about how well he would do against Jones, and everyone dismisses him and saying, oh, he's got delusions. Well, every fighter's got delusions. 
Um, but the point I want to make is that in general, I have found him much more thoughtful and reflective about the obstacles the world presents than a lot of other athletes. And I don't, and he yet still perseveres. So I think he'll come to whatever conclusion is appropriate for him in the end. But this is an interesting moment, man. 35 years of age, uh, two fight losing streak, which is not the end of the world. It's, it's against good fighters. But if he's going to make one more push, I don't know. He seemed to be like, BC, was it just the calf kicks or how did he seem physically to you? Or maybe there's well, really that's no what I was no, going to ask the calf kicks got, go, got going. The final round in particular, Luke, there were body language moments that I just didn't understand. There were long moments you and I were watching this fight together where he just wasn't throwing. And it wasn't as if he just wasn't throwing in the midst of overwhelming offense coming his way. There seemed to be some level of a disconnect between what you know what his brain was was wanting to do and what his body was actually doing. Those are warning signs. And that's why I you know brought up the idea of time off to figure this off. That was not the best version of him. You know what I'm saying? And, and something right. seemed to change right. in that fight that seemed to go beyond just a potential injury or, oh, he's losing, so the body language is going in the wrong direction. It, it just looked like he wasn't taking advantage of potential openings where, yeah, he's got he's got to, he's got to figure this out, Luke, because, um, I mean, look, he's he's not too far removed from, from defeating, you know, a three-fight win streak against very talented contenders. But... He does have a you know a beautiful family and a burgeoning second career. There are a lot of tough decisions to make on here, but man, he is only thirty four. Luke, let's not age him yet, okay? You know his birthday's know. one day after mine. Him, I mean, maybe maybe he should take some time off and help me open Factory Town MMA. Maybe that's the future. <laughs> maybe that's the path for him. Again, I think yeah. he'll eventually figure this out um, before it gets you know uh, to any kind of horrible horrible place. Um, I, I I just didn't. It wasn't. There's a couple times he got close with some of those overhands where he was chasing it through combinator through stance, where it was like just a little bit short. You know, uh, it wasn't like he didn't have a couple times where he was closely threatening, but it just seemed also like it's the first time I've seen him where I thought not with injuries, but the first time I've seen him where I thought he definitely looked older than the last time I remember sure. him. Um, that was, it, it, but again, was it the calf kicks? I don't know. I don't know. Johnny Walker is uh, also a big mf'er, and when he's when he's kicking you in the leg fifty-seven yeah, sure times in a row, you debilitating know? exactly. Yeah. So that's why it's hard to tell. All right, BC. How about this one? And I got to eat some crow on this one too. But if you want, you can go first. Ian Gary got easily the best win of his career, stopping Daniel Rodriguez in the first round. And BC, he didn't just stop him, but. I went back and I watched it this morning. I'm not sure if he took a, a whole lot of punches clean at all. No. I'm not sure what D-Rod got through even a little bit. D-Rod is a good fighter, and Gary mowed through him. Tell me what your sense of how big this victory is for this for this uh, 25-year-old oh, rising welterweight. It's big, and I and I think he dialed back. Look, let's be fair. Ian Gary sometimes can can you know do the do the Connor you know Billy Strutt and do that whole shtick that can wear people down. I like actually liked his post-fight speech, which was, you know, very confident that I'm coming on, I'm next. Hey, UFC, I'm your next star, but wasn't overly douchey, to be fair. But the that, that stuff is all just window dressing. It's what happens in the cage. This was the fight that was supposed to either slow him down or force him to make some big adjustments, and we're going to find out beyond the flashy striking, who is he as a fighter? Well, the flashy striking was calculated and deadly along with being flashy and that was enough to get rid of a durable tough contender that yeah damn right you and i need to eat crow we all need to readjust where his ceiling is whenever you're sort of it's weird he's not the second coming of mcgregor he'll say it himself it's just he's the next 
Irish bright prospect on the rise. So that that can really get you branded as things you maybe aren't. Ian Gary is Ian Gary, Luke, but he's dangerous. And um, this is this is interesting. This was a this was a pleasant development, in my opinion, in terms of of, okay, you get a win like this. All right, let's match you now with the guys that will really show us exactly who you are. But Luke, speaking of exactly who he is, did I not get the memo on Machado, his nickname, and why we now have to say we can't say Ian or Gary without putting Machado between them? It's almost like the PFL smart cage. It's like, you know, if you're going to say the three letters, you better talk about that cage's intelligence. Where did I miss this where suddenly his middle name is a part of his, you know, is a part of the whole thing. What does that I'm not, mean? I'm not I'm not sure. I've not I've not gotten that memo. So for now There was I'm a lot of Machado say. shoved at us through the screen. I was like, okay. Is this yeah, nickname? I'm now not too? sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, all I know is his name is Ian Gary. So for now, I, unless I'm corrected otherwise, I'll I'll stick with that. But BC, I got to say, it wasn't like I was. I did not go into Saturday declaring that um, I knew Ian Gary wasn't going to be good or couldn't rise to the occasion or something like. It wasn't like I at had least a not on sense. camera, right, Luke? Well, here's the, here's the okay, that's hilarious. But here's the point I want to make. BC, listen to these wins: Jordan Williams, Darian Weeks, Gabe Green, and Keenan Song. The Williams and the Song ones were stoppages. The other two were decisions. And the Gabe Green fight I actually watched very closely because some of the hype around it uh, at the time. Uh, that was the, that was a, for UFC 276. It was International Fight Week. He looked fine in all of those fights. Like there was there's really nothing wrong in any of them. But I just wasn't sure what other people were seeing. Like where it could give you a clear set like, oh, wow, he's destined for, like, for example, first time I saw Saryukian, he lost. He lost against Islam Makachev, but what he showed on camera was clearly like, holy shit, like, this guy's really good. Gay, or excuse me, Gary looked, like, totally looked fine, but, like, I didn't see anything that gave me that sense of, like, okay, the next level is coming up quick and he's going to hit it. I had more of, like, a wait-and-see approach. Okay, I've seen it. That was amazing. There's just, you can't say anything else. Like, that was... He did that expertly from the beginning of that fight right up until the end. Maybe a couple shots to the back of the head when um, D-Rod was crouched up rolling. But by that point, the fight was basically over anyway. He'd been dropped with that vicious head kick. As I mentioned, barely took a, a punch at all. Then gets on the microphone afterwards, BC, and says, I want Neil Magny, a guy who is difficult for a lot of welterweights to beat, who is highly experienced, who folks know as a name for kind of... Um, if you're going to go places, you have to go through Neil Magny first. And if you don't, you're not ready for that. He's going to show you pretty quickly, <clears throat> like just absolutely rising to the occasion, yeah. doing it beautifully, understanding the moment, and then seeking the kind of challenge next that is exactly the one he needs for fuller, broader, forward-moving credibility. Dude, I was extremely impressed. I have seen now something legitimately that gives me hope that he can really do something special in this welterweight division, that was a test passed with flying colors for yeah, Ian Gary. Count me, BC, as a believer. And and again, a decent level of maturity for a guy who is flashy and is this bright prospect. And I don't just mean maturity in the cage to set up the deadly strike that finished him, but also how he handled himself. I mean, that's a smart call out of Magni, as you said, and it's not an easy guy. It's not a a guy who's got this big hole in his game that you can go exploit. It's a guy that you have to beat. To, to Look, this if this one puts him in the top 15, then as he said on the microphone, a win over Magny is going to get him really close to that overall title picture. But 
Speaking of maturity and the character he plays as the 25-year-old young Irish guy who has next, what did you make of, Luke, the knocking on the door, apparently, of D-Rod's hotel room with a pizza and a box of weed? Uh, And did you see this, Luke? They had a hidden camera down the hall. One of D-Rod's trainers opened up his own hotel room, or I'm sorry, training partners, picked up the pizza and marijuana went back inside with it, and then Daniel Rodriguez misses weight the next day. Now, is that just a, a you know, a, a t- t- TikTok sk- uh, skit, or is that real? Did that really happen? Do you like I that movie? Fe- I have a feeling it's just a TikTok skit. I mean, you, you're not, just by putting that there and then he misses weight, you're not in any way establishing a causal relationship. You're just saying two events happened. Oh, they must be related. Maybe, maybe. I can't say that they're not related. I have a feeling that they're probably not related. Okay, but do you like that level of outward gamesmanship? That's, that's sh- you're showing people that there's layers to this, and, I, and I'll get in your head if I need to. Do you like that mental warfare? Um, I'm not really the audience for that, but it doesn't really matter if I am, right? It doesn't matter if I like that sort of thing. The question is, what does it do for Ian Gary's mindset, right? Like, if doing yeah. those kinds of things on fight week, whether you like them or I like them, whether you hate them or I hate them, it doesn't, doesn't matter. The question is, does that get him in a better competitive space by Saturday night for fight time? Because if it, if it does, then A, he should keep doing it, and B, he will. So it doesn't really matter what I think. Did I'm not the any... audience for that kind of TikTok content, no. Yeah, I know. You're an old man masquerading as a guy who's one year younger <laughs> than me. What I was really wondering is – um. Dude, were you smitten at all that Ian had the same Uber Eats order that you often have as well, Luke? You know, no, wait, like, wait, what did he get? He got pizza and weed, Luke. Come on. Oh, <laughs> I, dude, let me tell you something. If Uber Eats delivered weed, it'd be over for my bank account. It'd be all over. Right. I mean, fuck off. You know what I mean? I just don't even know what I would do with myself. All right, if they could combine that with a BBL Escort service, Luke, is that a dream idea or, is, or do we need to... Uh... Yeah, we could probably pull back a little bit on that's, that. That's, um, you know, a day after Mother's Day, I feel like that's blasphemous, but the answer to yeah. your question is yes. Uh, well, everybody yeah, keeps yeah. sending me this video of this creepy old guy with this lady, and he's like, only in Colombia. I'm not showing yeah. that shit on they this sent show. It to me too. They sent it to me, too. What people should know is those are like prepaid girls, they call them. Yeah, I don't support the sex trade, folks, yeah. okay? This is not your show people if you're People sending me clips of creepy old dudes who have money paying for escorts in Colombia. That's not evidence you can pull ass in Colombia. That's just evidence evidence you can buy it big difference yeah yeah get 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 away from me please uh okay but to the point congratulations to ian gary phenomenal phenomenal win and bc i'm gonna say it again with jailton almeida Almeida, he didn't take hardly any damage in this fight i know the training camps are gonna offer me the hardest part but i'm saying it's not like he's getting his ass whipped in these i don't know how fast a neil magni fight can be put together i don't know if neil wants it i haven't seen if he responded on social media or not but they could do that one relatively quickly, and I don't think folks would be that upset about it. I agree with you, Luke Thomas. All right. Let's move on to this one. This is uh I, I gotta be honest, BC. This one just broke my heart. If I could be if I could be completely candid with you. I really got a sick feeling in my stomach going to bed Saturday night. So let's sort of state what happened here. Rolly Romero moves up to 140 pounds in the main event on Showtime Championship Boxing. It was supposed to be against Alberto Poijo. He Test positive for clomiphene, so he's out. So they bring in this gentleman, Ismael Barroso from Venezuela, who had been, as I mentioned before, the mandatory since December of 2019. They kept delaying him and delaying him and delaying him. Finally, he gets this opportunity by virtue of the drug pullout for the original main eventer. 
And here is what the line was. Because see, tell me if I'm getting any part of this wrong. The line was Roley should win this. He's coming off the Tank Davis fight. He showed some maturity in that one, giving Tank some problems early before being ultimately finished off in the sixth. Now he has what he needs to move into that next spot, but also can crack. He, had, he wasn't completely out of it, we thought, but, you know, probably should lose. And then the fight starts, and Barroso was winning it, just to be extremely clear. Sure. He was winning it on Steve Farhood's unofficial scorecard. All three judges had him up at the time of the stoppage. But in round nine, Roley Romero was landing. I want to be clear. He was losing up to that point, getting dropped in the third. He was landing in the ninth, but at the time of the stoppage, he, in fact, he had absorbed two punches, and uh, but, but he, he even pushed, you see it right there, he pushed Barroso down, he absorbs two punches, none of his punches land, and I'm, I'm going to be very clear about this, BC, that is the worst stoppage in boxing I have ever seen. If that's not convincing enough for you, Dan Raphael, who's been watching it for 40 years, said it's the worst he's ever seen, BC unpack this for me what on earth happened here and then i want to talk about what should happen next yeah i mean this is as bad as it gets all you who love love to sit in the shadows and do the whole i told you so boxing is gross it's corrupt it's the worst it's the whatever it's the death it's never coming back this is why we can't have nice things yeah 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 unfortunately this is exactly when you're in a fight in which the more popular fighter uh, the slugger is down on the cards and is trying to rally back. And then you have this sort of oop stoppage. You're automatically going to get that response and that feeling. But to me, the problems go deeper here. And it's breaking my heart because we're always when stuff like this happens, judgment calls, you're always in that spot as a fan and journalist where you're like, man, you know, that smells really bad. Is that, is that corruption? Or is that ineptitude? And, and, you know, neither are a good answer, right, to the health of the sport. But either way, we're talking about Tony Weeks. We're talking about a Hall of Fame referee, 66 years old. The guy who refereed Corrales Castillo won in 2005, which is arguably the greatest fight of all time, and only became that because what's Tony Weeks' reputation as a referee? He's liberal. He's a fighter or a fan-friendly referee. Because he lets you fight. Okay, did you see Mayweather versus Maidana 1 and 2? Tony mm -hmm. Weeks ref the first one. Maidana was allowed to fight on the inside and kind of brawl. And it was this close, really fun majority decision win for Mayweather. They run back the rematch. You bring in Kenny Bayless, a, a more conservative referee. And Floyd's running circles around Maidana. Okay, so you know the reputation Weeks has. Even though he's 66 and he's been around forever. But this isn't just the stoppage. That knockdown, if we can run that knockdown again in that highlight package, to me, that knockdown is even worse than the stoppage because Tony mm. Weeks was on top of the action. And even though Roley landed two punches early in round nine to hurt Barroso, the punch that knocked him down, and there's the early knockdown in round three, and now we go into the round nine, the first knockdown. Weeks didn't miss this. He was on top of this. But even though those two punches landed, that's an obvious push. Clear push Obvious. Down. Like, beyond obvious. When you package that with a stoppage in which Barroso was not even getting hit, there was a push punch by Roley, which was the only clean punch that landed, a push directly to the face. Here's the problem. If it's ineptitude, it's sad because Weeks is a legend in this game. Fans love him as a referee for a reason, and it's not just his hip hair part, Luke. 
It's that he lets them fight. He doesn't in, he doesn't jump in and get in the way. So if it's ineptitude, it sucks, and it's a further it's a further cry to jurisdictions like the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which we don't have a ton of respect for at times for their decision making, that they allow the same old characters. And it's not an ageist thing, but they do allow the same recurring cast of characters to keep coming through. It's just that Tony Weeks had always been a great one. And this isn't just one black eye, it's two in the same round, in the same fight. And of course, that then leads you to the other direction. How could you be that inept as an elite referee? Could you make two monumental back-to-back mistakes in the same round, which only support the money fighter, right? The, The fighter who fights on this network who is a big draw, potentially, especially as a B-side against Ryan Garcia or any other matchups you want to create. Well, then it starts to look beyond ineptitude, and it looks like corroboration and corruption. And that's the worst spot you can be in in boxing. And I think it's bad for Roley, too, because he won a secondary world title in his biggest fight on his initial rise against Jackson Mourinho's in a lot of the similar manner, where he got booed when he won the decision that nobody thought he deserved, in the you know in the aftermath he's talking in the microphone aggressively and people didn't like that well now you've got another sort of breakthrough win to win a real world title at 140 pounds when again at, at worst it was inept but it screams other things this is where nevada needs a backbone because tony weeks should have stood up and was interviewed afterwards but as jim gray indicated the nevada state athletic commission would not allow him to talk and weeks specifically said i won't talk whether that was in direct instruction from Nevada or not, it's gutless. And people always say, BC, Luke, how do we fix these obvious issues with judging and, and in some cases, refereeing and boxing? I always say, first and foremost, uh, transparency would go a long way. Forcing the head of the Nevada Athletic Commission or whoever's the on-site leader at the moment, both him and the officials, to address the media afterwards. If you don't want to get interviewed directly in the ring afterwards, I, I, I don't know. Is there rules against it? I don't know. But you're not even willing to show up at the press conference afterwards and give your take. Either come clean and say, this is why I ruled it this way. You can disagree if you want. Or if you're the Nevada Commission, take the half hour and look over the situation and then come clean afterwards and say, you know what? He may have made the wrong call. We'll investigate it. Instead, they say nothing. So what does every boxing fan then do? Another black eye to our sport. Roley's the protected star. All this stuff that may or may not be true. Either way, it's all bullshit and it's not great. It's a horrible look for what we do here for the time we put into this sport we love to see a guy like Barroso who did nothing but resurrect his career on a three-fight win streak and hang around and one guy got yanked from the card and he finally gets his moment. And you know what? He fought his ass off. And this is the shit we have to deal with afterwards. Look, what do you say? It's bullshit. But the fact that Nevada, which puts the officials in place, which sanctions the event, is not willing to even talk about it in a upfront capacity afterwards shows me that they don't fucking care. All right? And then anyone that wants to say obvious corruption, what excuse are you going to argue back at them? Nevada won't even talk about this. You know, did you hear more Ronaldo on the call, Luke? He sure almost did. couldn't hold it inside. He was almost doing one of those Teddy Atlas, like, I've had enough moments because we should have enough. We know what these guys put in 
to, to work hard to get to this point. We know how much one win or loss changes their pay scale and their future. We know for a guy who's 40 years old fighting for a full world title, and who knows if he gets stopped by Roley in the final three rounds. Who knows what happens? The point is, we need something built in to prevent this from happening. Because if it was just the stoppage, again, it would be egregious. But Luke, back me up on this. That knockdown is actually almost a worse call, considering where Weeks was standing. I mean, this is just shit. And it, and it couldn't have happened to a better guy. And Tony Weeks, who I love, I've interviewed him before. He's a, he's a legend in this game. But everyone that had a hand in this looks awful coming out of it. On the commission side, no doubt about it. I want I want to take a step back and say, like, for folks who've never looked into it, like, where do athletic commissions come from? Like, why do they exist? Because they haven't always existed. I mean, a lot of cases, it came around the early part of the 20th century, early to mid part of the 20th century. And for MMA, um, even part of the 21st century, they some of these didn't get extended there. But they started happening because the state wanted to protect boxing a little bit, right? So they would make promoters put down some of the money up front. Um, they would look at the fight cards to make sure that the matches were relatively even. Um, they would license everyone, cornermen, fighters, you know, you get the idea. They, they they kind of just put some basic protections in place to make sure that promoters had the money that they said they would and they're putting on fights that are at least reasonably fair in, in process. So, like, the, it's a part of the government getting involved, and also it was betting-related as well, but it's part of the government getting involved to protect the interests of the sport and then the sport's athletes. What Nevada did on Saturday night is absolutely spit in the face of that tradition. Let's be very clear about this. Nevada's Athletic Commission is one of the very worst that exists, in part because they get so much volume by virtue of the geography um, that they end up making a series of bad calls about bad in bad procedure because they have no real internal mechanism for self-improvement. They have no real drive for it. It's this sclerotic, bureaucratic institution that is utterly protected by the state. So they don't really do very much to improve it. And I think more to the point, let's just also state the facts just as they are. They, they stole from Ismael Barroso on Saturday night. Ismael Barroso is 40 years old. Okay, 20 years ago when I was in college, Venezuela was the richest country in South America. Today, it is a calamity. And even when it was doing well, does Barroso look to you folks out there like the kind of guy who was living high off the hog? People were noting when the stoppage first happened, he didn't really complain. Guys, this is a humble man, right? This is not a guy who ever had shit handed to him, who ever got lucky once in this life. He is used to the world Fucking him over. That's why he didn't complain. Because when they finally stuck a microphone in his face and Jim Gray interviewed him, he said it was an injustice. He couldn't believe it. And no, nobody watching could. They didn't just take from a guy. They took from a guy that the world has been taking from basically his entire life. Do you think any of the big matches he's had, he's ever gotten paid sick amounts of cash? This was the opportunity to make the cash, or at least right. turn this opportunity into a future one to make the cash, right? To get a world title that he had earned four years ago. Four years ago, basically, he had earned it. He finally gets it, and they took that from him. I want to make clear, very uh, uh, as best I can about this, this is an institution that is supposed to be protecting guys just like this, and they fucking stole from him. And then to not even have the goddamn professional courtesy 
or courage, to your point, BC, to say something about it. Because, by the way, I've been to press conferences in Las Vegas after fights where the commission is all too happy to talk about some new bullshit initiative they've done or some kind of self-congratulation that they want the media to know about. They'll, they'll do that. I've seen them do it. I've watched them do it. I've been at the press conferences when it happened. So, of course, they can talk to the media when they want to. Of course, they can say things about what they're doing if they want to. They just chose to circle the wagon, and it's, fuck you, we're up here, you're down there, we'll go to the fights next week, and everyone's going to move on. Dude, they took from a guy that's never had anything. And it breaks my heart to see this, man. They treated him like dirt. He is owed at a bare minimum a rematch. He is owed an apology from Tony Weeks. He is owed an apology from that commission. And that commission, which they will not do, has some serious reflecting to do about the gerontocracy that they're forcing through the referees onto the world. BC, you know I, you think I get ageist about this, but we do have data from other sports leagues that show the longest tenured officiating crews are not the best ones. Right. Actually, it's the right. ones who are about 10 <clears throat> to 15 years into experience. This gentleman is far past it. And I'm sorry, you turn in a performance like he turned in on Saturday night, it is time out for you at a bare minimum, if yes. not losing your ability to work in this industry. They fucking stole this guy's professional career from him, and all that will happen is bad well, media. Dude, fuck them. They didn't steal his whole career. Hopefully he gets Dude, a, this a was the Dude, this, was, this money, was the spot that was supposed to make it all worth it. I get it. It was I get all it. culminating here. I would also like most people on Twitter to apologize to Barroso for commenting how he looks 75 throughout the build. <laughs> okay, my man, De like, I, I know I look but. old at 43. At 40, <laughs> he looks 70. Let's just be real All right, let's, let's look at how, how, <clears throat> how Nevada has handled big-ticket issues in modern history. You remember C.J. Ross, Luke. She scored. She was one of the judges that scored Bradley Pacquiao won for Bradley, which brought her under a certain spotlight. And then, of course, in... Canelo versus Mayweather 2013, the following year, she scored that fight six rounds to six in, in a fight that most people had 12-0 or 11-1 to for Floyd. So what did they do? They forced her to retire, to be fair. But then you had Adelaide Bird, who scored uh, the first Canelo versus Triple G fight in 2017, absurdly wide in the favor of Canelo, which went against the grain. And Luke, that was the last time I've seen Nevada take accountability. At the press conference afterwards, then acting... Head Bob Bennett did talk with the media. I think the problem, it's not a problem, but the problem for them was the media was almost heckling him in response and the way they asked questions, which was good to see the boxing media get aggressive and say, what is going to happen? What are you going to do to prevent this? And he said, look, Adelaide's a great judge. She had an off night, you know, whatever. I don't know if they went through classes or whatever, but she was back on the scene, Luke, in MMA and boxing, like overnight. Tony Weeks, we know, also was a big-time MMA judge in Las Vegas. So, you know, I hate making this about Weeks because he was so great, but he is 66 and they do roll out the same guys. I just think, Luke, if you add accountability to the mix, not just accountability with the head of the Nevada Commission, when things like this happen, when Jim Gray is saying, look, I need to talk to somebody about this, because I think that's how you weed out who's actually good and who's actually not. I always bring up that failed perfect game bid. Do you remember that? Uh, Armando Galarraga of the Tigers was almost throwing a perfect game and there was a play at first base, Luke. Do you remember this mm -hmm. about 10, yes, 12 I do years ago? This. Yep. The umpire blew the call. Yep. And in the locker room afterwards, the media is interviewing him and he's crying and he's saying, 
I screwed up. I saw the tape. I got it wrong. Like it was this great moment of vulnerability. I personally believe, and I'm also friends with a couple of judges. We know this on the boxing side. And there are many fights that they score that Twitter's killing them. And I talk to them afterwards and they give me a detailed breakdown of what they saw. And you know what I often do? I go, actually, you did have the best seat in the house. Maybe you're right. Maybe we were misinterpreting certain things watching from home. Or maybe this is just a subjective sport. But my point was, I took the time to reach out to friends of mine and get their detailed reaction. This is a high-profile, stressful job. But I personally believe if those involved were forced to face the music and give a response, it would either repair their name in moments that are not robberies, they just may be differences of opinion, or slowly force out the ones who either shouldn't be there at all or are past their best. Because with so much money at stake for these fighters' futures and which and with the obvious dangerous realities of even competing in this game, to fuck around with a clown show that is the way this athletic commission acts in the face of, of responses like this, it does no justice to the fighters involved. So how do we fix this, Luke? You know, accountability would go a long way, but how do we fix this an actual situation? Is it a rematch? Does a does a rematch where Barroso gets paid again? Is that how you make sense? Or 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 do you make the, the title vacant? I don't think you can make the title vacant. I don't think you can change the outcome because the referee's job is to make the call and he made the call. The question right. is, how do you fix this for everybody in the future? That's the yeah, real Yeah, by the letter of the law, we should also point out that the commission has rules that, basic, that basically make it impossible to... You can't challenge a call by arguing they did a bad job. There are other mechanisms in place, but they're fairly... How would I explain? They're fairly limited in scope, and uh, it's just about whether it was on the up and up. But like, if you're just saying, well, I, th I think it's a bad call... The state has, and Nevada's not alone in this, but Nevada's one of the worst offenders, just given the volume of incidents that happen in their state, where they just, you can't go in there and be like, he did a bad thing. I mean, here's the reality. Right. We'll talk about what should happen first, but I just want to say one thing. The Association of Boxing Commissions is doing a better job of incorporating this uh, athletes in their, uh, in their legislative process in an advisory capacity. But for all the fighters out there in the world, you, you should know what you're up against here. You're not just up against shady promoters at times in boxing or, you know, uh, uh, some sponsor who screwed you over or fans who light you up in, on, in your DMs or whatever, you're up against a regulatory regime that is much more interested in their self-preservation than yours. I hope every fighter who ever gets licensed understands that. The fighters need to have some kind of way to challenge not just the institutional authority of these commissions, but in particular bad decisions, bad calls by referees. I've seen some commissioners talking online. The one from Colorado made a point where there should be some kind of mechanism where if something bad happens to you in Arizona, California's commission has the capacity to review it, right? So this this peer review between the states. The reality is Nevada is has the rules designed to make it impossible for anyone to do anything other than bad publicity. That is the really the only way they ever respond to anything is bad publicity, Fighters need a seat at the table for the Association of Boxing Commissions, and they need a seat at the table at the various other state commissions to have some ability to check bad decisions, yeah. bad rules, bad enforcement, all of the above. Well, okay. You know what would be nice, too? Look, I, I referenced a fight in 2012 that happened in Atlantic City when Arislandi Lara lost the decision to Paul Williams that, to everybody watching, just didn't make any sense. The state of New Jersey suspended all three judges and then did a detailed investigation. They sure did. Yep. Why, if you're Nevada, why would you not try to fan the flames and come out and be like, look, 
we understand the controversy. We're going to, you know, look deeper into this. We're going to, you know, put Tony on, you know, uh, a temporary ban for now until we educate and go through this. But instead, radio silence. So, Luke, let's Dude, talk about the actual not, fight. They're not, they're not watchdogs. That's, that's not how they see themselves. They see themselves as this is a way to make a name in Las Vegas. This is a way to make connections in Las Vegas. This is a way to hold status within the government in the state. This is a way to be seen in some kind of way where they can add something to their LinkedIn resume. None right. of those people can credibly claim what they're interested in doing is being a protective watchdog for the interests of sport within the state of Nevada. Get the fuck out of here. No one believes that. No one trusts them. None of that is true. And so as long as that's the way in which they're able to construct their own business, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is they're just going to keep absolutely treating guys like Ismael Barroso, like absolute fucking dirt. And it is, it is, it kills me that this happened. The most vulnerable kind of guy, the one who has never, never gotten lucky, finally had his moment and they fucking took it from him with no apology. All right. What does really that tell you question. about their priorities? Not, yeah, their priorities are bullshit. And people say, well, what, let's not go to Las Vegas anymore. Well, look, Las Vegas uh, yeah, pays. Yeah, good luck. They I mean, pay the luck. highest site fees to bring fights there. They allow you to jack up the ticket prices to because it's high rollers mostly. I mean, that's just, it's the system. So, Luke, Roley seemed to regress a bit, certainly, in this fight. He had a yeah, lot of issues. talk about him, too. With the awkwardness of Barroso, um, even though he was able to kind of, you know, he was rallying a bit for sure at the time of the stoppage in terms of the big punches he was landing. This Barroso was a problem. And maybe it's just because he's a southpaw with an awkward style and he had enough power to discipline Roley, but this was not a, a step forward and an advancement on the idea of like, is Roley ready to build toward Ryan Garcia or anything like that? Um, really, I think the best way to answer this is to run back an immediate rematch, but this, this does not help his stock at all. But I, I want to tie the Roley part into the hard question. Is this ineptitude, Luke, or is this corruption? Is this the let's give it to the, the money fighter because that's what we do in this sport? Or are you leaning just on what a shitty night for the athletic commission. Here's what I would say to all these questions. To your point, I thought you stated it well. Like, this is what, I mean, 99% of the times when fight fans complain about boxing and for, you know, for whatever reason, I'm always like, this is not really a good example of that. Yeah. This is a good example of that. This is exactly what you're talking I think your point was well taken. Here's the reality. I don't know why he made that call. What I can say is it is so uniquely bad that what should happen with a commission that gives a fuck about fairness and justice to boxers that deserve protection would be an investigation. Because do I have any evidence that there is any uh, crime being committed here? Quite literally. No, of course I don't. I don't have shit. I have, I have a really, really, really dubiously weird, awful stoppage. But that by itself doesn't give me information. But a good commission would look into it and maybe they exonerate him. Maybe he's like, yeah, he had an off night. Dude, maybe he did. Maybe he just had an off night. Well, is there the, a justification? I, I was just going to say, say, you see, I, the only way to really answer that question is to have a due diligence process in yes. place by the state regulatory authority, or at least a even if it's even if it's a pomp and circumstance fake public offering. Give us the fucking fake, fake public offering, right? You know what I mean? We always say that it's like just come out and say something. But look, I, I like Tony Weeks, and that's not clouding my judgment here. But if it was just ineptitude, is there a chance on the knockdown that the outside shoulder of Roley was was blocking his view and that he saw the push as a punch 
because he was in wasn't in the best position. Is that possible? I'd say yeah, yes. Get into a, dude, this whole idea of like, oh, well, he saw it this way because he was in a dog shit position. Right. That doesn't in okay. any way justify the stoppage. Get into That's a better position, That's what I'm position, saying. So the, the stoppage, I'm wondering, is because, look, when we watch it in slow motion, the only punch that landed was that push right hand to the face, right? I'm yeah. wondering if in real time Weeks was blocked and he thought that was a punch that staggered Barroso. If you believe that punch staggered Barroso, is this enough for a stoppage here? No. And even Weeks is still at a good enough angle where he could see that that wasn't the case. All right. Then like, me, my attempt to give him every benefit of the doubt has just been solved in this case then. All right. No, you're right. You might be right. You might or be dude, right. Or maybe, dude, who, listen, maybe he has, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to be theoretical here. Again, I have no evidence of this whatsoever. Which is why when people are always like, oh, corruption, I'm like, you need evidence to make claims like that. And I don't have any claim. I don't have any evidence like that. Maybe he's having a hard time at home. Maybe he's got health problems. Maybe he's got financial problems. Maybe he's got kid problems. Maybe he's got life problems. And he's just not all there. And he's making bad decisions. Again, dude, is it possible he just had a really bad night? Yes, of course it is. But we won't really know what the full answer is until somebody does the job yeah. with the teeth to do it of looking into it. And so because they're not going to do that, they're just going to leave it alone and he'll be back on the job doing whatever. We're just forced to kind of lament. I guess I guess we can treat certain people like absolute shit by this commission. And that's just the way that it goes. Yeah, I'm just Tough I don't shit. know. I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into some belief that makes this all feel right, that that those pushes look like punches to him. But it's still all bullshit. And if you're looking for somebody with the teeth to do it. I welcome Yanni the Greek, but that's just me. But, um, uh, you know, Roly had a step back performance, it seems, overall, Luke. But what's so boxing going to do? Here's what I was going to say, and then we'll, we'll move along because we still have to talk about Bellator. What I was going to say was, BC, this shit didn't do Roly any favors either. No. Like, I know people not. say, oh, well, they called the knockdown, uh, uh, the pushdown a knockdown, and then they got the early stoppage in that sense of doing him a favor. Yeah, but, like, let's step back a little bit. Roly was losing that fight. Everyone knows that because of the judges. Right, so now we know he was losing. It wasn't just people saying he was losing; we could prove he was losing. He did not look great to begin with. He got dropped in the third. Then he gets basically gifted this title, dude. If anything, like Roly Stock declined after this, despite getting a world championship. Ultimately, in the end, like if anything, this hurt his. I think I don't know if it hurt his promotional interest, which maybe in the end is the most important. But sure. like. Roly had a chance here building off the tank performance to be like, aha, you see, I can turn into something special. Dude, Kenneth Sims, who had to fight uh, Bakhtir Akhmadov on the opener of that card, both of those guys would beat Roly. And no, no doubt in my mind, yeah. both of those guys would beat Roly. He took a bit of an L here in the end, ultimately, too. Corey's reminding me that in the post-fight interview, Roly did say it was an early stoppage. So it's certainly he not, he's not pretending to play along with it. He was being very honest afterwards. Yes, in in the end, Roley invited the or he should, he said he wanted to keep going. I wanted to keep going. It should have been what he should have said was he was totally fine. But okay, um, BC. The last thing I'll say is I don't know if a rematch solves the problem. I don't know if there is a way to solve the problem because it was that night. It's going to be hard to get back to that place for Barroso, and I don't even know if they'll give him one. So maybe maybe we could get Barroso some Caldera lab samples, Luke, to try to just you know. Try to fight the aging battle. I mean, a little can, bit can we can we give this guy a W somewhere? Yeah, yeah. just killed him everywhere. Yeah. Right. Uh, all right, let's move on to Bellator if we can. BC also on Showtime. This was on Friday from the Accor Arena in Paris. Well, I gotta say, BC, these Bellator shows in Europe, man, uh, they are they look fantastic. Not that the ones in the US 
They're fine, certainly, but the ones in Europe look like these just enormously grand. I mean, all their tentpole events must be over there now. Okay, BC, but it was a bit of a passing of the torch moment, it seemed like to me. Fabian Edwards gets the unanimous decision win over Gegard Musasi at the Bell Tour 296 main event. BC, how much of the story should be Edwards looked good and had a phenomenal performance versus how much of it should be that Musasi finally really did look old? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both, and it often is in this case, but I do want to eat the crow and say, like, I overlooked Edwards coming out with this performance. Was same, it an older Was it an older Gegard? Yes. Was the broadcast correct, I think, in rightfully criticizing the fact that Gegard had wrestling success in round two and then completely goes away from it for the rest right. of the fight? He tries one more takedown down the stretch, and he got stuffed. Yeah, I think strategically, especially that... We've seen some of these fights out of Musasi in this run where he relied on the wrestling and showed you that he may be able to sustain his career longer by using that in the right matchup. This potentially could have been that matchup. It didn't happen. But a lot of that was Edwards' movement, his striking, his poise. Like, this was a very mature performance for a fighter who's starting to build a nice win streak here to get into contention. I mean, they put him in the cage afterwards with the with the current champion, Johnny Eblen. They already announced this for September in Dublin. So here we are. It's a good-ass win for Edwards. You see the physicality there to take Musasi down. Uh, he leveled up in, in a large way, and I was happy to see that, Luke, because I apparently have a history of, of underrating both brothers in big fights. So maybe maybe it's about time I come around, all right? Yeah, I'm, I have the same problem. So I, I also have to eat crow. In fact, on my OK bet, my my I think my favorite pick, so odds-wise, before the contest, I think Musasi was the favorite to win and I had picked him to do it totally wrong. Uh, you know, he looked this way, or I should say, he looked a version of this way against Johnny Eblen, but Johnny Eblen is very good. Whether you guys appreciate that fact or not, I can't make you, but I'm telling you, Johnny Eblen is going to be a hard guy to look good against. Okay, so I thought he might wrestle against Edwards, and to your point, when he did, in a very limited capacity, he looked just fine, or at least good enough to win. But he just didn't do it, and maybe he didn't have the gas tank. Maybe he's got the miles on his body. He just can't. He can't commit to that kind of a fight anymore. He can only commit to a more open kind of at uh, at range kind of a fight. And open at range, Edwards was dude way better. Like he was just way better. He made like his brother. He made a lot of good, calculated, smart decisions. He didn't make a lot of dumb errors. He was conservative in certainly his offense at times but never really in any kind of trouble, hardly at all. As long as that fight was at range, he won it you know, without much issue. And to your point, he was able to get even some top spots on the ground as well. So I had been wrong about Fabian Edwards. I want to be very clear about that. But I do think it is important to say, guys, this is definitely, definitely a post-prime Musasi. It doesn't mean that's an easy guy to beat or that I can say Edwards only beat a guy because he's old. No, Edwards clearly leveled up here. Like he looks pretty good, and I think he's got a bright future. I think he's what thirty-one, so he's still pretty. He's still pretty young. But I, I saw Musasi's prime, like in its prime. Sure. It, it, this is just not that guy. It's just not that guy. He used to have, I think, pretty good cardio, and now it seems like it's good enough to make it five rounds, but not in any way to weaponize it. He used to have a lot more zip and pop and snap. He could move more. He was much more of a dynamic ground. He's been a ground and pound threat. You know, since the aughts, for fuck's sake, he just had none of that this time. I think, I think, you know, whether he calls it a day or not, I don't know. But BC, it would be just disingenuous to say this is a guy who's just as good as he's always been 
No, he did look old, and I no, think that it, did play a role. Yeah, it, it did. And this was the right fight in terms of matchmaking to show us that. A potential crossroads fight that lived up to that. One guy coming on, the other guy going away. No disrespect, he's a legend in this game, but performances like this speak to what's left of the fight inside the Great Warrior, and that's where we are. And Luke, I've also been corrected on Twitter, rightfully by fans who who remind me that Ian Gary's name is Ian Machado Gary as a nod to his wife's maiden name. So that's a, ah. that's a very, very nice move right there, okay? Yeah, fair enough. All right, whatever he wants to do. Uh, but BC... For Musasi, oh, actually, let me ask for Edwards. Edwards, you saw we had. If you control one more time, guys, the face-off he had with Johnny Eblen. I didn't love the face-off. UFC does it. Bellator does it. They all do it. One does it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time, it feels like it doesn't work for me because it kind of takes away from Fabian's like grand moment. This was the biggest one of his career. But they are going to set it up next. Fabian Edwards is going to take on Johnny Eblen. By the way, this is going to be uh, uh, Eblen versus Edwards is set for Saturday, September twenty-third. At Dublin's Three Arena. I do. I think it's smart to put that fight in, in, in Ireland. It's going to be a raucous fucking crowd. But I got to tell you, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong again for sleeping on Fabian Edwards. But Johnny Evelyn's a tough fucking fight for him. I, yeah, I just got to yeah, be honest about that. Yeah, that's a tough fight. That's a tough fight. We're going to find out, Luke. Okay, it was a tough fight. I love Johnny Edwards' liberal use of the F word, though, during that post-exchange. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He didn't mind getting, getting a little greasy there. But what are you going to do? All right. Last but not least, BC, point number five. So this and was if, by the way, the... quickly, if you were a better husband, Luke, you would consider changing your last name to your wife's maiden name. Like, so she asked me to do that actually. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. Uh, and I was like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> You're like, this is America, baby. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess. Don't... So here's the thing: I haven't explored Colombian citizenship, but if I did, I I think the way that it would work was that my name wouldn't change, other than it would add her maiden name at the end of mine okay so uh for like for my national id there so i guess i would change my name in that case maybe maybe um that's something about like happening to ian gary but i don't know Uh, okay true love true love will make you do anything luke and it's a beautiful thing all right that's true bc last but not least how about mansoor barnoe who i had thought was the dark horse of this tournament Boy, I did not love this fight from him. So he had, I mean, let's give him some credit. Both of these guys, actually. Barnaby and Primus had an absolute dog fight. I mean, in the trenches. And Brent Primus came out on top in the last two rounds, really using his top control and his better overall grappling and wrestling to make up that difference. BC, I want to talk about how Barnaby fought in just a minute, but we got to give some credit to Primus. Dude, he had to dig deep yeah. in this contest, and he did it. What, what can you say about how he persevered? And then let's talk about how you think he'll do against Usman Nurmagomedov. It's it's hard. It's like he's 38 years old. This was a gutsy-ass win over five rounds to put himself back into the title picture. In fact, he'll be facing the champion, Usman Nurmagomedov, in the next round of this million-dollar tournament. But, Luke, and I think this but needs to be mentioned. I know Big John in the moment was was really talking up, this is the best Brent Primus we've ever seen. I don't actually think it was. I thought Primus really telegraphed his striking, and there were elements I didn't like. But the toughness, the perseverance, the focus was was there. Luke, Barnawi fought all gas, no breaks for about two rounds. <laughs> didn't set up any of his offense, just full speed ahead, like mashing the buttons on the video game that... I think he gassed himself out, and I think what this became was a war of attrition, and it was brutal at times, and it certainly 
was just one of those where you bite down and you show the dog that's in you. Brent Primus is going to fight for a world title again because that dog is still there. He's in great shape. He's he's making this last run. He's taking it serious. But I don't think this was necessarily the best of him. I just think he bit down and outlasted a guy whose strategy in hindsight deserves a second look. I don't think that's unfair. I don't think that's unfair. Again, best Brent Primus, I don't know about that. But what I will say is the way in which Barnaby fought both opened up some opportunities, but also because it was in your face. I mean, for folks who don't know, Barnaby just in the opening round just walks across the cage, clinches with him, and just has not quite like Fry Takayama, but this kind of just open clinch style where one's hitting the other one and then getting hit and then back. I mean, just wild as shit. And does that again in the second round and like was fighting him from side control underneath. Like just weird, in-your-face, bizarre total stuff that required you to it, it pulled something out of premise i don't know if he could pull it out again you know if as long as his career is, it goes on bc like it was a real special moment where he rose to the occasion and i tip my hat to him because that was amazing but i don't know if he could replicate that consistently i that, that seems like a a one and done type scenario and again barnaby just kind of served it up to him bc i hated the way he fought i hated the way he fought it seemed to me when he was at range, moving, popping, the whole nine yards, he was doing really well and then just abandon it to stay in range, take unnecessary damage. Premise is like, if you're going to serve it up, I'm happy to take advantage of it, does, and gets the W again. Well, I want to point out with much more expert control in the grappling department in the last two rounds. But BC, to what extent did Barnaby just give the fight away? Yeah, I just too snapped up. Hated it, as Luke just said. Um, He gave the Hated fight away, it. Luke. He thought he was going to come out there, attack, get a big finish. He's in Paris. I mean, the crowd was rocking. You got to give them credit for there. I don't know yeah. if you saw the live shots of Josh Thompson and, and AG2 in the arena standing up. I mean, it was awesome, but strategy was horrible in that regard. And, and, I, and he's a warrior. He hung on. His face was hamburger at the end. But yeah, Luke, I hated it just the same. I almost hated it as bad as my miss uh my my fluid consumption i miscalculated it luke throughout the show so if you could just you know entertain for like 30 seconds and then we'll worry about the forgiveness part afterwards all right it was great talking to you thanks thanks we have to do we have to do dms from donks next but i guess you can go do your thing i will say this i thought it was really funny how uh big john was pronouncing tebow guti he was like congratulations to your winner tebow guti i'm like I'm, i don't think guti is supposed to rhyme with booty quite in that way but it uh it worked out just the same. So shouts to everyone there in Paris. They did a great job. Uh, Josh Thompson, Amanda Guerra, jo uh, uh, Big John, and uh, I don't know the name of the other British commentator guy, but uh, he did a pretty good job there as well. Uh, and by the way, last but not least, Primus takes on now Usman Nurmagomedov, who they had in the ring there after the contest was over. My sense of things about how that contest goes, I, you know, it's just hard for me to believe that Brent Primus is going to beat Nurmagomedov. Everything that Primus is good at feel like Nurmagomedov is also good at and probably better. Certainly, he's much younger. I think he's got much better stand-up. Um, so, again, if you've not seen that contest, you really should. Primus turned in an absolutely gut-check performance if ever there was one in MMA. He 1,000% earned this opportunity against Usman. But in the end, I think it's going to be a difficult one for him to get uh, a W in. So we'll see how that goes. All right. With that in mind, that's our top five. BC is back. 
Look, Let's if you have to drop to a DMs. deuce, I could take us home here. This is it's no okay. Problem. It's time for the DMs from the Diggity Dongs. Let's go to it right now. Yeehaw, yeah. All right. All right, BC. Let's do this. First things first from It's Not Cage Fighting. They ask, with Gileton having fought as low as welterweight before, which current 170 and 185ers could have a successful run at heavyweight? That's an interesting question, Luke, because we did see Rumble Johnson do remarkable shifts in weight similar to this. I was there. He fought in D.C. when he fought Charlie Brenneman um, at 170. So I've seen him. I saw him at one. I I saw him cutting weight for that fight. He looked like shit trying to do it. Um, but he got it done. Uh, I think he did. So you have to ask a question about like who is a bit of a bigger guy, but also really young in the weight class, right? Because they kind of have big to frame. grow. You need a tall frame that can carry a lot of back muscle. One seventy. I don't know if Hamzat's that guy. And Sean Brady ha- is muscular, but he's a little too short, I think, for heavyweight, right? Yeah, you need height, dude. You really need height, or or then you're going to be Deron Wynn in your own division. You know what I mean? I think Kamaru could probably get away with it, right? Maybe? Well, yeah, because when he originally talked about the idea of maybe going up to light heavyweight, we were all like, what? But he does have decent height. I mean, can you put more on that frame, though, Luke? He may have jet maxed out the jackness of that frame at 170. Right? Yeah, I don't know. See, that's the thing. Like, Almeida at 230 is lean. You know what I'm saying? True. Someone's saying, if you think, or, uh, Mikey says, if you think Kamaru can, you have to agree that Hamzat can, right? I, I mean, I think Hamzat could, but I don't think that, like, he'd be getting wins quite as, uh, maybe he would be. I don't know. Could Hamzat do it? I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's asking a lot. You've got to be wired in a certain way, too, I think. To like, just ask the question, who at 230 is going to look like Almeida does? I don't think Hamzat at 230 would look like Almeida. You know what I'm saying? But he has the height. He's got the wrestling game, which helps. Um, yeah, probably Chimaev's the answer there. I mean, according to you, Robert Whitaker can like go up to heavyweight and fight John Jones. You know, so hey, hey why don't knows, you just dude? book all rematches again? How about that? Why don't, you think, <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you just borrow every other matchmaker's idea? All right. Yeah. From uh, Z to the N7 or Z to then seven. Is there any way the Nganu news lives up to the hype? BC, can I go first on this, please? Oh, yeah, I'd love you to. I'll go to the bathroom again. Go ahead. So I don't know if we have. <laughs> what is wrong with your. With, with, what's happening there today, there, guy, huh? You all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just had a lot of fluids, Luke. Sorry. BC, here's what's going to happen. So over the weekend, Francis Nganu shat on all the morons on Twitter who took a dump on him and then put out this notification that at 1 p.m. tomorrow, He's going to be releasing a video on his YouTube channel where I think he announces what we assume will be a signing with the PFL. BC, I want you to mark this in stone, okay? Tomorrow, here's what's going to happen. I don't know what the terms of the, I literally, I am being on my mother, day after Mother's Day. I do not know what the terms are of this deal. I give no clue. I'm guessing it's going to be pretty lucrative, but we shall see. It, if it is lucrative, and I should say especially if it is lucrative, there are going to be people shitting all over it. Tomorrow, there are going to be people being like, uh, yeah, good for him. He's got a bag. These are fights I don't care about. I don't want to see. When, of course, what PFL is trying to do is then use Ngannou as a way to sign other heavyweights. That's, that's the whole point. Like People are like, who's going to fight? Well, they got to recruit some people. I think that's the idea. But I just want to point out, expect tomorrow that, especially if the deal is good, there's going to be an absolute uh, barrage of bullets 
headed Francis's way with claims of this sucks. I hate this. He's going to ruin PFL. You name it. That's going to be in full force tomorrow. I mean, if he has a chance tomorrow to have the bag to go along with the virtue, as you always say, is already his his reward. Um, then this is how you do it. Because Luke, look, I don't know if all the details that have been researched by my guy over there at MMAI are true, but his lengthy video about this exact thing, oh wow, was it eye opening about the way these contracts are. St- are state signed and staged and after Francis fell apart, how they changed the contracts at the UFC and like, dude, like virtual already is Francis's reward. I think he's a special individual in that regard, but he also has the potential here to sign a very lucrative deal in a meaningful organization that happens to fight on the same channel and may or may not have the most intelligent cage. And if he can have that clause in his deal, we'll find out maybe tomorrow that allows him also for the lucrative bucket list heavyweight boxing move. I mean, unless unless your entire focus is I wanted John Jones versus Nganu, I deserve to have it, and you're not willing to point back at the organization for why maybe parts of that didn't happen, and you're just such a brand homer that this is what it is, how do you not applaud what Francis about is about to announce for himself tomorrow? I mean, I will go to my grave with the respect as a man for how he handled this entire process. How I mean, Luke, remember when Andy on Shawshank, spoiler alert, had to like crawl through the tunnel of shit to get to paradise? Mm-hmm. Francis had to do that in terms of MMA business, in terms of the constant public slashing of his character in ways that are proven to not be true and don't match up. Let's let him have his it. day. They're going to do it at every stage. They're going to do it. Let's have him have tomorrow. his day. Look, unless the criticism is coming directly from Dana, I don't want to hear it. And even then, I can probably still heckle it. But, like, if Joe UFC fan in Omaha is just mad that Fran- Francis is not fighting John and he wants to piss on this, that's fine. Normally, I would say Francis will be the one laughing going back to the bank. But it's not even about the bank for Francis. Luke, right? I mean, I mean it, is, it is on some level. Sure. At some level, but that's not like it, that's not the main re. I mean, it's just I just think that people there. There's two kinds of people in this world, Luke. People that are solely and exclusively motivated by money, and everyone else. And sometimes there's a gray area, and we can float in between those two based on certain times in our life or situations. But I think at the end of the day, you'll either do anything for the dollar and sell your soul, and that's all that matters. Or at some point, you have a, a line of non-negotiables, which which Francis hit with the UFC brass, and now he's doing it his own way. If you don't applaud that, then then you know you don't believe in the American way, Luke. Then you don't believe in the good in this world. No, dude. There, there. No, I would say also, there's just people in this world who um, take principled, calculated risks, and there are people who are just too chicken shit to do stuff like that. And when I say that, you know. Like not every risk is worth taking, of course. I'm talking about the principled ones where, like, to the point, like, virtue is your is its own reward, you know? Um, the if, if you believe in your principles, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be rewarded with um, riches or fanfare or whatever. You, you, you may not be. It's really not the point. That's not what you're necessarily trying to get. I do think he's trying to make money out of this deal, but... I hope everyone understands. Remember me telling you this right now. Tomorrow after that news comes out, there's going to be a, uh, an absolute, you know, uh, 
chorus of folks taking a dump on it. When the first fight gets announced, that's going to happen. After the next fight happens, it's going to happen. There's going to be people at every stage of this trying to tear down what Francis is doing because Francis is disrupting um, you know, a very difficult, tightly controlled industry. And the, you know, you're not going to get applause for that. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get everything but that. So just, just so everyone knows that's going to happen tomorrow. Okay. BC question number three here from Jimmy underscore Reed is Carlos Olberg ready for a top 15 opponent. Good question. That was a very uh, nice stoppage win. Luke, he had over Ehor Poteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is yes. He absolutely is. Yes. I completely, I, again, another guy I was like, I, have, I mean, he'd had, I think the one loss or whatever, but in general, I've been like, he's looking better and better and better in terms of his performances. And uh, I was like, okay, let's see what he can do here. And he just mowed through this guy. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, he, let's give this guy a real test for sure. His lone UFC defeat was a second round knockout in his official debut against Kennedy and Zekchu who is also on a nice rise of his own. Would Correct. you like to see those two in a rematch against one another? Ooh. Or am I booking too many rematches, Luke, out of, you know... No one loves rematches and retreads quite like you. Again, I understand now... See, I just I drafted Hollywood too studios. much wealth, and I screwed up the mechanisms. Maybe I'm not ready for the war room at UFC. Maybe I'm not. I, I will say this. I'd be interested in seeing that fight, but I still think both guys are kind of developing into the best version of themselves. Let's see it when that's a little bit more advanced. So I yeah. do actually like the idea. Let's put pause on that for like maybe another year or something like that. But I, I, I like that idea. Do you think Olberg tore up the local swipe scene in Charlotte after the fight? Again, I'm going to imagine that his DMs look approximately the opposite of yours and mine. You know, yeah. Chef Kaz may or may not be in his dimensions. But other than that, there's no similarities. You know what I'm saying? I can't he wait just... till Chef Kaz well, ties you up and then... You know those those weird blinking balls he puts all over his skin, Luke? I'd like him to yeah. put that over your uh Dude, non-mentionables. Yeah. Did you ever <laughs> Did you ever uh watch the old Charlie Murphy stories with the green screen that he told about Eddie? It's what that's famously it's where the one for the Rick James thing comes from. Yes. He told a story about Eddie Murphy that if you didn't live through the 80s and the 90s, it's hard to explain how popular Eddie Murphy is. Like you know, Maybe Joe Rogan is the equivalent in terms of like which comedian is the most popular, but it was strictly for his comedy and like his movies and Saturday Night Live. It had nothing to do with anything else, right? It was just for that. He was enormously popular. And Charlie Murphy, rest in peace, made a story, said a story about him that like, you know, he would go to clubs in the 80s and like dudes in the club would get real fucking mad at him because he would walk in, do a lap and leave. And in Charlie Murphy's words, he would drain the club. He would drain it. All the women would leave and want to go with Eddie to wherever he's going. All the rest of the dudes would get real pissed about it. And he one time said, like, Charlie was security, and a you know, fight broke out about it, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I bet that's what Carlos Olberg does. <laughs> I bet he walks in, does a lap, and then just fucking drains it on his yeah. way out. You know what I mean? Oh, he'll drain. Oh, he's draining it, Luke. <laughs> he's definitely draining it. I believe that. All right. All right. How did, uh, yeah, question how did number we four, BC. <laughs> Okay. From uh, St. John underscore CA, how excited for the ultimate fighter, Connor versus Chandler? I guess he's saying, uh, are we? You know you will have to cover it, so you may as well just watch. Quite incorrect. I actually don't have to cover it, and I'm not going to watch. BC? So I will watch. I've only previously watched, Luke, the heavyweight season when Rampage broke the door and the strawweight season. Jesus, you've missed a lot. Oh, in the first season. Of course, the first season. 
Um, okay. So uh, I'm going to come back for this. I like the, the little teaser video of the two shoving each other, the trash talk. I'm not expecting a ton, but I want to get pumped for the fight. My only question here, and not, not just related to McGregor's potential USADA six-month window, which I'm sure they'll just after the fact say that he already did it last year and we're all good. Um, they said UFC over the weekend that they hope to negotiate this and sign a date for them to fight by the end of this tough season in terms of the air dates. How do you sign these two up, film the entire reality show and not already have a deal for when they're going to fight? Does that make any sense? It does. If, you are constantly, you know, running from one deadline to the next and you just got to meet demand without being able to do everything else. I mean, that's again, like it's not quite like boxing, which, yeah, they have schedules and, and promoters have stuff they want to do on a, on a timeline, of course, but it's not so aggressive and they don't have so many different masters to serve. Dude, UFC has so much content that they owe to so many partners. They just got to get it going. They got to put it together. So actually it makes complete. I mean, to your point. Like, why would the why the fuck would you do that if you didn't have a fight signed? That's how it should be done. But I think the UFC is just running as fast as they can to fill these obligations because it's so tough to do it. And they ended up. You here. think they had an internal meeting where they're like, let's just get through the second slap pay-per-view on the 20 on the on, at the end of May. And then we'll figure out after that. It, again, I need evidence to conclude that. But you're asking me my hunch. I have a, a hunch that slap is taking up a little more bandwidth than it probably should have. Yeah. Um, keep that in mind. All right. B.C., from lastly, Triple A one zero one seven, just the fucking worst name. Does anyone else find it a bit? Oh, good question. A bit unprofessional that Dom Cruz just continues to talk shit about Keith Peterson, the referee in question, even from the broadcast position. BC, let me set the table here. He did it two times. Once in the Alberg fight because Alberg is beaten up on Potieria and then gets up before the referee intervenes. The referee doesn't intervene. Ulberg goes to get back on him, and then Keith Peterson jumped in. So, again, not Keith Peterson's best uh, officiating, although Ulberg kind of did it for him, so that's weird. And then also, um, I believe in the uh, – what other fight was it? The un, Was it the Douglas and Silva? It was an earlier fight where, where Anik said that Peterson and another referee will be handling six of the that's final right. eight fights, and then yes. that's where Dom was like, Dom oh, gets, joy. So that was during the Silva, the Silva de Andrade fight. So in other words, in multiple fights, he was airing these grievances. What do you think? Because I like Dom's personality, and maybe because I don't want this joke of what Keith Peterson smells like to die, could we give him one comedic reference per broadcast where he's like, oh, great, Maybe, but no, I did feel like this was on top of, they're piling on top of each other. And then the constant complaining after that stoppage of about it happened to me, it happened to me feels a little bit too one-on-one -on -one grudgy. I mean, they don't let Dan Hardy show up anymore at the apex to talk about um, Herb Dean, right? So uh, I would think that that is something that they talked about. I think it, it felt like it went a little too far, Luke. And, the, and look, I, I say that because I love Dom Cruz as an announcer. I think Dom Cruz should be the pay-per-view announcer default along with DC and Anik. I think that's their best team. That's just my personal take. Um, but, yeah, Luke, I, I would like to kind of nip that in the bud in terms of uh, it constantly. You know, I have a slightly different view of it, which is to say the following. I, I don't agree with Dom Cruz at all. I thought the stoppage in the fight with Henry Cejudo was justified. I thought, or at least, no, re, fine, basically. Not great, but fine. And in general, I think Keith Peterson is an excellent referee. Um, and also, I don't want to keep hearing 
Dom Cruz complain about it. Let me put that up front. Like I'm, I, I, I understand Dom Cruz disagrees, and I understand that he is really upset about it, and I don't want to keep hearing about it. But, but, I'll say this, BC. These fighters do not have any capacity to challenge anything that is basically unfair that the commission does, or at least perceived to be unfair. In a better, more just, and frankly, let's be honest, sane world, Dominic Cruz would have had the opportunity to have that challenged in whatever mechanism that would be in place and probably would not have won on the merits of it. He probably would have lost. But at least he would have had some kind of dutiful procedure. He has, and all these fighters have, nothing. Going back to the Ismael Ismael Barroso fight. Again, that's a much more egregious, very different kind of scenario for a lot of ways, but it's the same principle involved. These guys get, sometimes treated very poorly, very unfairly, and they have not one means to do anything about it other than what he is doing, which is complaining. So I don't love it, but I got to be honest with you, as long as we're going to tell fighters when a referee or a judge or whoever fucks up or does something that is at least at a bare minimum questionable, you can't do anything about that because, again, we're up here and you're down there, they're going to resort to stuff like this. Let's have a better system in place to adjudicate some of these needs. But true or false, did Dana White end Steve Mazzagatti's refing career by publicly complaining at times? Yeah, but look how much he had to do it. Like, he had to do it a shitload before they ever moved on it. Keith Kaiser didn't care at all for long periods of time. So, like, you know, again, I, I, I don't... You I think don't he threatened? Want... He threatened to move out of Vegas, maybe? I... That's I mean I I don't know I doubt it I doubt right. it I doubt it I'm just but, trying you know, to see I, Tai Chi Palace get paid back one time Luke that's all I'm trying to well, see okay, right they see, would... don't you understand my position like dude the fighters like when they speak out against raising fighter pay it blows my fucking mind that they do stuff like that but okay you know whatever fight that battle a little bit separately but it just does it not dawn on anyone how fucking abused by the industry they are whether it's yeah. You know, in, in in boxing or MMA, fucked up sponsors and bad promoter contracts and you name and then the commission has no mechanism by which they humbly state like their their essential worldview is we are either right or we're not, but we are basically because we're in control, that's just the default position. You can like it or you can not like it, move the fuck on. Like yeah. no wonder fighters speak out like this. No wonder media members speak out like this. They don't ever open themselves up to any sense of fairness. So then they just get this. So do I honestly, do I feel like bad for uh, Keith Peterson? I guess on some level I do. Cause I don't, I think on the merits he's right, but I understand Dom's frustration as best I can from this distance. And I got to tell you, I get that too. True or false, when I asked him on Friday, Ray Longo said that Keith Peterson actually smells like cigarettes, not booze, not cheap women. He did He did say that. Yes, he did. He smokes, apparently. Uh, I'd like so to believe it's more of a mixture of, like, deli meat, hookers. Like, that's that's how I imagine Keith Peterson smells. Just mm-hmm. one time I want him to say, now is the time for me to rise to my feet before he uh, tells fighters to go back to their corners because he does sound like Jamie Josta. A little bit from hate breathe when he does when he when yeah, he talks. That's not a reference that's coming through my windows anytime soon, Luke. Hey, can we talk about shit now? Hey, it's time for BC's feces. Hit it, my friend. All right, I scoured the globe yesterday for the good, the bad, the ugly, the high lows, the in between from the worlds of combat sports and beyond. We call this "Have you seen BC's feces?" Yes. Oh God. 
All right, DC. <laughs> you know what? You've, you've been hyping up this segment a little bit, and they've not been bad. Yeah, this they've week's not, not great, but last week was great. Oh, last week was okay. Luke, okay. one day you'll realize that it's not actually the breadth of my material that makes this segment great. It's the willingness of your participation. Luke. That's the key, right? I do agree that the willingness of my participation can make or break how it feels. The whole yes. show. Okay, right. okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. But it's not true that if you don't include, like, you also sometimes turn in not enough elder abuse and not That's enough fair. guys getting put in marijuana coffins or <laughs> the kinds of things that get me to pop. You know what I'm saying? All right. All right, let's see if you like this. UFC Charlotte is where we start. Hey, Luke, Brian Battle and Gabriel Green gave us an amazing 14 seconds of caveman fighting to start this fight off. Wow. Yeah, he just gets in his face and doesn't move, and uh, that's it. That looked a lot like Brunson <laughs> versus just... Whitaker. Yeah, that's just like, damn. He just he just stands right in there and just pays for it. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Did you like Brian Battle's emotional post-fight speech where he said, I'm made of Charlotte. Charlotte is in me, basically. He loved it, Luke. He loved being home, all right? I actually did not hear the post-fight speech. All right. Well, hey, Luke, real surprised this week. I went four and one in OK Bed. Who would have saw that hey. coming? And the big winner was 42-year-old Matt Brown, who delivered the thunder Fuck on Court yeah. McKee. Damn. Dude, I, I got to tell you, man, I, again, this is an obvious thing. I say it all the time, but there is a growing gap between the guys who can slip punches and counter at the same time and watch him. He sees him coming, moves his head off the center line because McGee's punch goes past his right ear and he just moves right into the right hand. Dude, fucking Matt Brown is an absolute legend. 42 years old. He's got gray on his scalp, and yet he's still taking scalps. God bless this fine American. What do you think of his speech afterwards where he said, the worst 30 seconds in this sport is the fact that I know in 30 seconds I'll be walking out of this cage or something to that regard. He's basically trying yeah. to say that he loves being in there so much, Luke, that leaving the cage is heartbreak. I believe every word of that and every piece of emotion that goes into that, I think he is 100% telling the truth. And we, right. are, we are lucky for it. Well, Luke, Johnny Walker was here over the weekend, which means we get creepy dancing at the prep point. Let's listen to the announcers break. Dude, he can't stop. Jo I mean, please stop doing that in front of like the, the guy who's just trying to put. Look at him. <laughs> He's, I think the guy putting the Vaseline on him was like, please just don't do that in front of me. Like, I, I don't guess we don't have your audio, but the announcers were like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, I mean, this guy gets we, we did hear from Paul. <laughs> yeah, Laura Sagal's like, that's a little bit too much. But Luke, uh, Paul Craig did tell us that this guy has um, has infiltrated Ireland, right? I, I mean, I think the I think what he said was he basically fucked his way through Scotland. So God bless him. All you know, right, once again, there you go. another man whose DMs probably very unlike mine. Well, that was an interesting dance. How about Jalton Almeida's victory dance? Luke, you like this? A little TikToky there at the end, but you know that's fine. That's fine. I don't know what this dance is called, but um, I hate it. I just want to be very all clear right. About that. Well, speaking of absolute shit, Luke, Misfits boxing happened over the weekend. Oh um, my god, we haven't even talked about that, have we? <laughs> hey, you know Anthony Taylor, Luke. He took on Salt Poppy, but he also took over the mic. Let's listen in. 
You know I see you It's a disguise the way you treat me Keep on on to your thoughts of rejection <laughs> Yo DJ play Where is the Apollo hook when you need it Yeah we can end this now uh not only can that man uh MMA fight and box. He can also entertain. Look, he would knock out salt poppy. As we, we continue to hear the reverb. There we go. There we go. All right. Hey, uh, Tommy Fury was ringside, Luke. And um, there was a fellow named Idris Virgo who also appeared on Love Island who who wanted to fight old Tommy Fury. So you know what they did? They fought, Luke. Let's zoom in on this. Look at big John Fury get involved with that goatee. I just want to move to an island where electricity and no one else exists and then just live there. <laughs> Luke, it, all, it, uh, it only got weirder when KSI in the main event took on Joe Fournier, that influencer guy. Remember when he boxed David Hay to a cringe ending? Yes, which, by the way, was like the worst boxing match of all time. Ever, because be they were friends. They didn't want to throw. Well, Luke, let's zoom in here at how this fight actually ended for KSI. So he lands a big right. That actually looked pretty nice. And then he, by the way, just galloping into position. Another boxer would make him just absolutely pay for that. And then he just says, you know what? Muay Thai, bitch. Suck yeah. it. <laughs> Luke, I don't think uh, forearms are legal, even in influencer boxing, but the referee scored this as a KO. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this sport is a... F I mean, this was not a great a great weekend for the sport. You know, it was amazing. Like, Davis Garcia was a, was a phenomenal weekend. For the sport, this was a. This is not part of my weekend. sport. All right, influencer. It technically boxing. is though. It's the shittier end, but it does count as part of the sport. And the fact that they saw this on the replay and then didn't change it uh, is just a fucking. I mean, the whole thing is a joke. I get, but like, they did this guy dirty too. I don't well, have you... nearly as much sympathy for him as I do for Barroso, but yeah, still. Well, Luke, Tommy Fury, and KSI then got in the ring afterwards, and it looks like we've got a fight to build to. Are you moved by this, dude? KSI, like. Where was this fight? This fight was in London, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I, it looked to me like he he pulls a huge crowd. He's popular, I get it, but I, you know, even then, I'm still kind of amazed at the audiences he can pull. Dude, I think in London that fight. I'm, I, I hate to admit it, I think it'd be huge. Yeah, right? no. Look, inevitably, he's going to box Jake Paul on his own pay per view in England, yeah, and yeah. it'll be a big event. Like it really will be. I don't care about it, but. They had some weird trash talk back and forth. Nobody cares. Look, let's get cooking, all right? Hey, Luke, I found you a new cookbook this summer. Wanted to get your Was thoughts it the on the anarchist it. cookbook. Close. <laughs> <laughs> and Luke, uh, <laughs> you you don't have to dig too deep into that to find the first side dish. They call it what do they call that? A cockcuterie board. Let's see this. Charcuterie, you mean? Oh, I think it's supposed to be charcuterie, but this is now a cockcuterie board. Your thoughts, Luke? I'd eat it. <laughs> well, <laughs> wait, 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 hold on a second, hold on a second. Where did they put at the bell end? They put the nuts at the bell end? They got to put the nuts at the back end and then put the queso at the front end. Yeah, you're right. They screwed that up. The balls need to up. hold the nuts. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, Luke, what we need you to do to get into good summer season shape is put the vape down. And if you won't listen to me, maybe you'll listen to one of our heroes.
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I told, I told, uh, I told you this on Saturday. It's true. Uh, I just did. I haven't even had my first workout yet. I have hired a personal trainer. Yes, I hired a personal trainer, dude. Get serious. Listen to Jacko. Yeah. Get serious, dude. dude 2016, right? I was I was fairly muscular. I was doing pretty well, and everything has gone to shit since then. Yeah, uh, and I realized that, and I don't think without outside help I can fix it. So I have hired some outside help. We'll see how it goes. Well, look, you know who got into great shape and keeps winning big fights and is now the happiest man on the planet? I don't know. Mike Perry. Let's look yeah, in on this. Yeah, look, I, I would love to see your and you and your family put something like this out on your Instagram. Look at this guy just enjoying life, dude. I got to tell you, I kind of love this for Mike Perry. If I can be, t- yeah. Well, this part not so much. I mean, just putting his ass right in the camera. But the kid looks like he's happy. You know, I, I, dude, I said it before. Life is hard as shit. No yeah. matter what age you are, it's hard as fuck. And if you, he's only doing this because he's happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's only willing to put himself in these positions because he is so happy with his family. He doesn't care anymore. God wow. bless Mike Perry for That's that. That's Ocean's dude. daddy right there. And did he you see Coach Latori right in the now. background? She's very happy. They have a second child that, that came, a daughter. So shout out to the Perrys there. All right, Luke, also in boxing this week. Uh, you know our guy, Janabek? We don't talk about him much. He's one of the middleweight title holders. Watch this uppercut sequence he did on the top-ranked ESPN card to uh, – Knockout Stephen Butler in round two. Jesus. Can we go full screen on this? This was and then sick. And then there's the double leg to the body. Oh, Woo! at angles too, no less. Oh, yeah. that was sweet. He he is. Uh, his last name is. Um, I'm not going to pronounce it, Luke, but he calls himself Kazakh style, and we never talk about him. But much respect. He thinks he's the most avoided middleweight. We know that division is largely devoid at the moment, but uh, he's making waves just the same. So I, I right. saw people. I saw people. No, I was gonna say. Well, I was in a train when this fight happened, so I could only watch on my phone on YouTube TV what was happening on Showtime. So I saw people tweeting about it, but I, I hadn't had a chance to pay attention. It's good. Also on that undercard, Gabriel Flores uh, eight, eats a hook here to deliver a bigger one. Check out this sequence. Oof. Damn. You know he doesn't move his head. He throws and then doesn't anti- like he goes to the body. He gets it gets parried. Then he comes up to the top, doesn't set it up, and then doesn't move. Look, he doesn't Ooh. move. He doesn't throw the hook and then roll or throw the hook and then step back. He just kind of stays there. And uh, yeah, by the way, a... they also tell you just never lead with a left hook for a right-handed fighter for a lot of reasons, this being yeah. one of them. Yeah, that was a pull-two counter. You just don't normally don't see the guy eat the punch flush, Luke, right? Unless it's... Yeah, well, that's, yeah there's, less, there's less pulling going on there. He's more just a counter, too. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Luke. Let's go over to England here. Here's a guy named Alois Jr. He delivered arguably the KO of the week against some other dude named Groick. Oh, oh, good left God. Left hook from hell. From hell. He just walked into the... Oh, my man is taking a nap already. Jesus. Indeed. Uh, Luke, let's go over to this boxing match. In between fights, they had a singer jump in the ring to entertain, and then this heckler jumped on the apron. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the singer can bang, dude. Dude. You know what? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, bitch. Yo. Enjoy that fucking tables, ladders, and chairs match, you fat asshole. <laughs> Luke, we love hockey fights, especially when the goalies get involved. Look at this finish. Is this somewhere in Finland, or is this... Oh, shit! Manich, we gotta go full screen on these. The people need to see this. The... 
Dude, he Damn, jabbed him at- up. He jabbed him up and then finished him off with the right hand. Nice. That, and nice. as he faded over, boy, that is sick. All right, let's go to the karaoke table. You do have to be careful, Luke, after you put in your request and start singing, and then you jump up. It looks like oh, there's nothing. Let me, oh. As a guy who has worked in bars, let me tell you, there's nothing white women love more than standing <laughs> on tables. I don't know what that is. I don't know why that is, but they love it, and they yeah. do it any chance they get. Does that look like a poor man's at Zuck right there in the front in the white t-shirt, Luke? Um, I don't know. I, I don't I, Zuck is like the poor man's version of this guy, actually, if anything. All right. He's just rich. Uh, Luke, this is you when the edibles finally kick in. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I had one the other day. I told you guys about this. I misjudged the dosage. And I had a nuclear blast of THC yeah. to the point where I was sweating profusely and holding onto my chair for dear life because, <laughs> dude, it mu- I'm not kidding. It must have been six or 700 milligrams. Like, I got absolutely. Yo, dude. I, you can talk, I, I got, to, no, I'm, you can talk to aliens horrible. at about 300 milligrams, like straight yeah, dude, up, was, full conversation. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe it was closer to five, but still, it was enough to actually send me to another dimension. I hated it. It wasn't that fun. Yikes. All right, let's go to the rugby pitch. We got some fun highlights here. Here's your female hit of the week, Luke. This is insane. Oh, that's like that lady who was stopping the shoplifters at Best Buy. Yes, indeed. You look like right? Steve Atwater against Christian Okoye. Look at that. Bro, wow. you ever seen these rugby, the female rugby players in person? These are yeah. definitely the types where you're like, and I don't want to stereotype. I'm just telling you what I've seen. But uh, these are the kind you see, and you're like, yeah, they could definitely beat a few guys. Like, yeah. there's definitely... Some dudes who would be yeah, they're uh, like in for, a, in for a bruise in there. College softball catchers, Luke. You know the world needs those. Yeah, dude. Too, college, okay? dude. College softball player, or, or, or I should say, even high no high school football. Excuse me, high school softball players, because you get the kind that are just like enormously overweight, but they can just kind of lean into the thing, and they can hit that fucking ball into the into the they moon. Can. They can sometimes though, Luke. The fans run on the rugby field, and then we need to, you know, we need to, we need to protect these ladies from from these fans. You know, we need to lay them the hell out. Oh, nice move right there to avoid yeah, it. That right, was pretty good. Where where is this? But oh, oh, Jesus! Somebody get Bert Kreischer off the field, would you please? I mean, come on. Dude, what was up with his fucking? Okay, are we able to get a Bert Kreischer experience where he is appropriately clothed for the? Well, you can get that experience. Ex- experience in the octagon did you see his movie poster inside that's what i'm saying like even the poster or whatever it was it was i guess it was in the every um in between the panels or every kind of stanchion for the for the octagon there was a one of he was shirtless in the fucking ad yeah and it's like dude like i don't i don't i'm not getting much out of this experience chest hair and sweat that's about just 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 put a shirt on guy yeah Luke, I always say, you know, I'm really bad at fixing things. I always wish I had a third hand, right? Because, you know, to help hold it and frame it and hold the nail while I hammer. Um, Oh, that's a good workaround. Dude, does this man have a python, a reticulating (laughs) python for a hog? I mean, that is ridiculous. (laughs) Stop. Hammer time. Yes. Dude, this man, I got to be honest, this man's penis is a prehensile tail. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Do you know yeah. what a prehensile tail is? I know, but I'd love to. Those find are the out. ones like you ever seen those monkeys who have a tail that can wrap and then they can hang themselves. 
Like they can hold themselves from the branch with the yes, tail. Yes, yes. Yes. This man's cock is a prehensile tail. Okay. It's just unbelievable. Oh, you said the C word. Uh, let's go to the concert scene here. See what develops here, Luke. Well, I mean, you can tell how this is going to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think that's a cannibal corpse right there. Yeah. I mean, I just look at who's in there and you can, you know, I don't need, I don't need, there's, there's people who are hearing this on the audio platform. I'm not going to say who's dancing, but you know, who's dancing when it turns poorly for the Looks gentleman like Ian involved. Machado Gary doing that backflip off the stage, right? Yeah. The guy who did the flip is reasonably, no, I won't say reasonably anything. Um, you know, He's I'll just say it's white. not much of a surprise. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the amateur wrestling, Matt. Luke, tell me. Wow, look at that. Tell me if this move is legal. Seriously, this is like a pro wrestling move. Oh, that's legal. That's a standing Sayonagi. Oh, yeah, that's fully legal. It's just you don't normally see it with two biggins like that. <laughs> when, when big country meets, you know, big sky over there, yeah. usually uh, it's a little more, you know, pedestrian, but... Steps across, pulls him over. Yeah, that's called a drop saying, or actually, no, a drop when he go to his knees. This is a standing Sayanagi. Yeah, that's nice. sick. Let's go over to the state championship match and look at this victory celebration. Check out this guy in the white. He's going to throw his coach lateral drop. Yeah, he's just lateral dropping people. Oh, love it, love it, love it. What state is this? Louisiana? Based on the shape of the, of the logo back there? Could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. looks like it. Where's, where's, uh, where's, where's Coach Cormier? Yeah, where's DC? Where's Dustin? Where's Dustin Poirier? Yeah, uh, we got one more for you, Luke. This, this got physical. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing. Oh, I'm gonna do a bit here. Or I'm gonna ask you a question: Is the girl punching the other girl? She lost the match, right? I think they're both boys. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right. You know, I'm all for it. All right. Whatever. Yeah, Dude, that okay. happened to me the other day. There was a young person. They must have been in. They must have been like. Like 17. I don't know what the working age laws are anymore in America. I guess you can work if you're five now, but a very young person. And I definitely called them a sir and thanking them for something. And my wife yeah. afterwards, was like, I think that was a girl. And I'm like, I can't. I did not know. I cannot. In certain cases, I cannot tell. Just say hi, Luke, and, and move on, okay? Uh, let's go to these gentlemen. Is that a, a tripod under this guy's robe, Luke, or is he just happy to see us? Oh, whoa, what's this? This is a bonus uh, clip. Look at this. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was in there. I missed it, Luke. This is a different type of amateur wrestling move. It's more of a pro Dude, wrestling move. I feel like but if yeah. you get injured doing backyard wrestling, the doctors are required to not treat you. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Face first on the concrete. That's not good. But let's yeah. go over tell to me, this. Tell tri- me how the asphalt tastes. Yeah, <laughs> Kobe. Yeah, Kobe. All right. Uh, Luke, what is happening here? Let's zoom in. Does that little guy have a... Have a uh... we, again, yeah. we just have... We, we apparently have discovered videos of gentlemen whose genitalia are both <laughs> comically <laughs> enormous and yet quite handy. Yeah, I'd be like, which hand do I shake? Look at that, sir. All right. Uh, Luke, sometimes you see guys that are so wild, you just want to know what's their story. Luke, what's this guy's story coming up here? I don't know, but I want to learn it immediately. (laughs) First of all, I don't know what's in that keg, but he's carrying that thing with the strength of Brian Shaw, and his balls are hanging out. Look in the middle there. (laughs) 
He has air-conditioned jeans right there. That's great. And he's wow. holding a Jack Daniels in the other hand. And by the way, look at him. He's walking like he knows exactly where he's going, for what yeah. purpose. Dude, this guy fucks. That's what I Yeah, do. well, he also eats flesh, I'd say. He's like, that. I need a keg of beer to eat this person's body. Look, You know, if I'm going to... Dude, you ever tried carrying a keg of beer? They're fucking heavy as shit. Yeah, they're heavy as, as F, Luke, or S, too. Uh, all right, we got two more for you. Hey, Luke, over in the UFL, right? How about Raja Jackson, son of Rampage, earns an amateur KO, and then afterwards, Dada was like, you can turn pro, son. Nice. You into the uh, Raja Jackson future here? I mean, here's the thing. With anyone's kid, it's like, you know, I'll take the wait-and-see approach. Yeah. Our boy uh, Big Tuna came up empty, Luke. He he, he dislocated his I finger saw, and got submitted. On yeah, I saw. That, that broke man. my heart a little bit, too. Shouts to Big Tuna. You'll get him next time, bro. And finally, Luke, you mentioned on the uh, aforementioned not-yet-published room service diaries that you had an issue trying to help your family move. We found footage of that. Let's Let's zoom in on this. <laughs> There's Luke in the back trying to do yeah, let's uh somebody hit the brakes. <laughs> oh, 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 oh god, yeah. dude. Dude, this oh. is so bad. They've got the doors open and they've got the tray out, and then everything falls out. So not only do you have to repair the doors and then the 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 ladder, so to speak, uh the ramp anyway, then you have to repack everything. Dude, this is an uh, an epic, an epic L. Not as bad as well, actually. I should say worse than the one that I took. Yes. But, I mean, this uh, guy died probably from this, so it's probably worse than the one you did. But that's the shit of the week, Luke. Dude, Not if my this best happened badge, to me, but... If this happened to me where if I lived, I'd have to repack everything, I would rather just die. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you just light it all on fire, including yourself, and go out Joan of Arc style, Luke. That's what a real man would, all right? Dude, having, helping people move. like help, uh, here, The reality is I moved a bunch as a kid, and people always helped me, so like, when I helped my family member move, I actually felt pretty good about it because I knew I owed the universe, you know? It wasn't that. Yeah. It's yeah. just that the people involved in the rental company, I hated. I hated all I hated all of them. Well, you normally hate most people, so it's, you know, statistically it would catch up with you, Luke, but it happened. Um, all right, that's all the shit I got. What a show, right? What a show, you know? Uh, BC, let's remind everyone, we forgot to do it when we were talking about Francis, which I apologize but uh, so Francis is going to make this announcement tomorrow. We, we think at 1 p.m. I don't know exactly when I'm going live, but I will have some kind of pretty immediate reaction to it after the fact. Yes. Again, I, I, I don't know how long his announcement is going to be. I don't know what he's going to say. But again, I expect at some point at its conclusion for me afterwards to be having a live kind of reaction to it um, right here. YouTube.com slash morning combat. So there you go. All right, and also Mikey, our great producer, CBS Sports, um, he asked another question there, Luke. He goes, if you want me to edit RSD, we can get it done for Thursday. Yeah, we might have it out for Thursday, the OG one, sure. Either that one or Sunday, it all depends, but uh, we'll okay. get that one done and, and, and it was great catching up with uh, a great coach, Luke, and Ray Longo. We look forward to getting that RSD uh, 2.0 on the streets pretty soon as well. Great yes, that was a phenomenal conversation, and he brings it every time. And I learned a lot, actually. Sometimes I don't learn a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, talking into to, you know, not every conversation can be the most fruitful. I found this one to be very fruitful, so I really enjoyed it. Shouts to Ray Longo, great guy. Uh, okay, BC, reminder, of course, Showtime.com is the label that pays. 30 days free. If you want, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. And then, of course, if that's not for you, uh, that's uh, your loss. But just the same, you can go to morningcombat.store for some merch, BC's hat, the whole nine yards there. And, um, yes, so be on the lookout tomorrow 
for a live reaction to Francis, and we'll go from there. BC, any final thoughts as we wind down today's show? I'm a man, Luke, of many hats. You look like the street vendors in Cartagena who do this bit. Yeah, and I would also go third world on your ass like they would at any point, Luke. You better understand that about me. All right, I'm a rabid animal. You don't you don't want to mess with me at the end of the day. All right, it's all fun and games up front, but you know you put you put BC in a corner, you find out. All right, why, why, yeah. why do they have to be third world BC? Uh, because that's where people um, who come from fight the hardest, Luke, and I respect that. All right, very good. Uh, that is Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. Thanks, uh, by the way, to um, uh, old Ryle, who did a pretty good job over the weekend. Yeah, for, from the for, crew. for a guy with such outwardly low testosterone, it was great working with him, you know? Dude, he's 21 and balding, but uh, other than that, he's a great guy, you know? Yeah, great so. guy, great guy. Uh, thanks to everyone from the Malka side who was there for the weekend and, of course, here today. We appreciate that as well. Thanks to CBS Sports. Mikey Morms is back as well. We're out of here. So for Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Thanks to all who are watching. I'll see you guys tomorrow after Francis's announcement. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.